Welcome to Soul to Scene episode six. I'm Andy Cooper from RMS Motoring, and I'm joined by Gary Riley and Craig Allen. And in this show, we have a special guest, uh, Jason Barlow, who's joining us. And I'll be honest, it's exciting and terrifying in equal measure for someone from the establishment to be here. But he's from North Down, which tempers the bar slightly. <laughs> Jason heals from Ards, then Bangor, uh, went off to uni uh, in Manchester, and then a postgrad in journalism at Cardiff. I hope I've got all that correct. And he's been writing for GQ magazine since 97. He took over from Jeremy Clarkson as the host of Top Gear in 2000. For a few years, he was in Driven on the 90s in Channel 4, right up to uh, the present day on ITV4's Car Years, most recently, which was filmed over here. I'm sure some of you have seen it. Um, Jason also writes for The Road Rat magazine and has a current Amazon bestseller with Bond Cars, A Definitive History. And seems to be, like myself, a huge film and music buff, as well as clearly cars. So, look, let me quantify this for you. So, he spent extensive extensive time on the set of the new Bond film, No Time to Die, which, uh, and a few weeks ago, spent the entire day with Quincy Jones for a GQ piece. So, just two totally different uh, ends of the spectrum. Quincy Jones, for those of you who don't know, was, among others, Michael Jackson's producer. He discovered uh, Will Smith in producing The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But look, back to cars, uh, apparently driven pretty much everything that is to drive, never mind many column inches to back that up. To say that we're blown away by the fact that Jason's taken his time out of his busy schedule to talk to Soul to Scene is a bit of an understatement. More than that, since I dare to reach out, we've had a great chat and some banter over WhatsApp, which does take the edge off. So Jason, you're very welcome to Soul to Scene. Uh, where do we find you in the world? Obviously not in Northern Ireland. <laughs> No, but I, uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. It's very kind of you, and it's a great pleasure. Um, it's lovely to join you. Um, it's fantastic that you know guys like you do what you do, and a great reminder that I think the world of cars is is basically driven by communities and and passion. You know, um, where do you find me? Well, I live in North Essex, um, not too far from Stansted Airport. Uh, not the most beautiful of uh, landmarks to associate oneself with but but this part of um, England is um, full of great roads actually it's not the reason we ended up here I, my wife and I we, we lived in Shoreditch in East London we were uh, proper hipsters for a couple of years back in the late 90s bought there when things were still affordable I, at that point I was assistant editor on car magazine so that that was an important um, stepping stone in my career um, and then when my, my daughter was coming along, we thought, well, we need to, you know, we need to move out. We need to live somewhere bigger. So we um, we ended up heading up the M11 in the direction of Cambridge and sort of ended up in the countryside out here. So that's where I am. Um, and we've been here a long time. Uh, and uh, the driveway, um, the thing about living in Shoreditch, I remember, was you always had to run the gauntlet of the traffic wardens in the London Borough of Hackney, who really were an extreme bunch, you know, um, and I won't bore you with how you had to do. You had to fill in a little blue card back then. It was all very antiquated. But now I have a driveway and I have room for many cars. And this is a good thing. And furthermore, I can literally drive about, I don't know, half a mile from where I'm sitting right now and be on a road that's as good as any uh, that I know. Um, so, yeah, it's a good spot. Excellent. Look, that's that's uh, part of the challenge of peacetime. In Northern Ireland, we have traffic wardens and Gatso cameras and uh, all that stuff to contain. <laughs> Contend with no. Well, I said I was, I was I was over last week, and uh, I think I ended up. Uh, my my old man's a big 
car fan as well has a has a well i say that I'm a, well, maybe maybe we can discuss this he recently swapped a porsche boxster for a jaguar f type um uh he was looking at a second hand aston vantage actually um uh, but he ended up with the f type which i quite like it's not it's not it's too too porky but we'll get into that too many modern cars are too heavy we all know that um but yeah no i was telling him some 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 war stories about being stuck in kind of 27 mile tailbacks in the m25 and you know when people he, i know what it was he was running me back up to the airport and uh he said well we've got to leave plenty of time and i went look dad whatever traffic jam the sydney bypass can throw at us it will be nothing <laughs> i have to put up with and he's like, yeah, well, you know, you're mental. I, I just couldn't live over there. I couldn't live over there. And I went, no, no, well, you don't. I do. Anyway, no. So, so, so like you what, guys have got amazing roads. That's why there's so many wonderful drivers from from Northern Ireland. You know, we were Andy we, and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, the the Drumlins. You know, the basket of eggs topography. It's the only thing I can remember from a geography O level. But uh, yeah, there's so many great roads. So many, and they're and they're really quiet. You know, so it's it's a great place to drive and enjoy a car. I think. So, uh, what what does an average week look like for you, Jason? Because no, we've, we've talked sort of talked a bit about the sort of things you've been up to, and you were you were telling me some of the things you were you're talking about going to Millbrook, yeah, this week, and 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 like I, my my mind was blown by by uh, what uh, the, the week or uh, an average or not average week of a of a journalist, an automotive journalist, looks like. Well, I mean, in truth, there is just no such thing. Um, I mean, I've been freelance for a long time. So the, the, the other thing, as well as a long-standing contributing editor to GQ, I've been editor-at-large for Top Gear magazine since 2000, and that started when I did my fairly brief spell presenting the program, although I did 55 episodes. Nobody remembers those, really. Um, least of all, Jeremy Clarkson. Um, <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. Jeremy. I mean, he was very talented, but he just seemed to disappear off the face of the earth, didn't he? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he ended up as a farmer or something. Who knows? Um, so uh, where, where was I going with that? Uh, oh, yeah, farmer. average week. Um, well, the thing is that <clears throat> there isn't one, you know, but but since the pandemic, uh, that's thrown, that's like it has for everybody. It's thro- thrown everything into confusion. But the one thing I would say is that I've been working from home for years, so that's no different for me. Um but yeah, no. This week, this week, yeah, there was a there was a thing at Millbrook. It was just Skoda, who PR boss at Skoda, someone I knew used to be at Aston Martin. Worked with another uh, close friend who unfortunately passed away late last year, and I wanted to catch up with him. But also, Millbrook is a well-known proving ground. Um, if you've seen Casino Royale, the first Daniel Craig film, uh, the bit where the DBS barrel rolls ridiculously yeah. and swerves to avoid Vesper Lind. That was filmed. The road that was filmed on, I was driving up and down today. So it's it's a, it's a, a motor industry proving ground in Bedfordshire. Um, so I was driving lots of uh, old Skoda v, uh, VRS products today. Um, uh, and also, you, you guys all read Evo, so you probably know Richard Maiden, who's another very old friend and colleague from way Dickie, back. Dickie, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dickie set a, a, a world record at Bonneville in 2011 in a Skoda Octavia. <laughs> That's right. Remember being I, I drove that car today around the high speed bowl at Millbrook, and that was fun because it's a racing car. And I, I, I love cars where I get in and there's nothing inside them. All the shit's been taken out of them, and it's just you, you know, uh, and a roll cage, hopefully. Um, so that was today, and tomorrow, I, uh, many are going to show a new uh, stripped out concept car done by the um, the great fashion designer Paul Smith, who I'm sure you've all heard of. And uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a uh, I've got to go to his flagship store in Mayfair tomorrow and um, sit down with him and a few other journalists. So 
Um, that's not quite an average week, but it's not far off. I mean, it's the it's the thing I most love about the job is basically the total lack of routine that you just don't know. Sometimes from one day to the next, you know. Uh, and then, have you been following Extreme E, the new uh, uh, the spin-off thing from Formula E, the Dakar style electric racing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So the first round was in Saudi Arabia, and I went to cover that in um, late March and early April. They had a round in Senegal, which I didn't go to, but the next round is the Arctic one, and it's in Greenland. And for reasons I won't explain, I've always been slightly fascinated with Greenland, and um, so I'm, I'm heading over there for um, for four, four or five days. So I've got to try and nail down a few stories, I suppose, while I'm there, as well as covering that. So going to Greenland is most definitely not an average destination and that that's that's why i'm keen to go um, unbelievable and so yeah so that's what I, I i couldn't get my head around just the the variety of things that you would uh you would do in a in a week was just uh unreal but uh, yeah i mean this this weekend is pebble beach uh, monterey car week and then pebble beach and you're going to see lots of cool stuff this weekend and Normally, uh, before you know, in the before times, um, <clears throat> I probably would be in California um, driving something, and you know, uh, I, I bumped into here comes another name drop, but I bumped into Sir Jackie Stewart in Pebble Beach a couple of years ago, and I think I'd been doing something with Jackie a few a month or two before, and he and he looked at me and he said, he said, oh, he said you get everywhere, don't you? What kind of Playboy existence do you lead? And I, I remember thinking, Jesus, if Jackie Stewart telling you that. <laughs> You, you know, either you've got something very, very right, or yeah. you need to have a serious word with yourself. But uh, I, I, I took it this, I took it the, 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 the best way. So, but no, no pebble this this year because um, getting into America at the moment is uh, not easy. Yeah, they've made it very, very, very difficult. So um, I'll just, you know, but in a weird way, you know, it's been quite nice, kind of backing off the travel a little bit. I, I, I it, mm. it is. A phenomenal privilege to travel the world and i've seen so many japan as we talked earlier about i've been there five or six times and um you know i was watching the olympics coverage last week and denise lewis was was on and i think claire bowling made some some joke about yeah we've all been to japan and denise lewis and I just had to pipe up and go i've never been and i was sitting there going yeah no i've been very lucky i've been very lucky i love seeing strange parts of the world usually via the prism of the automotive subculture so it's, and I, was, I was going to say, and that's and that's part of the day job. And and there's always comments to be written off the back of that. We we were talking about that the other day on the phone. That uh, this all seems uh, glamorous. You still have to put x thousands of words together about all these experiences. And and I just find that fascinating. Trying to you're trying to tell that story to someone else through words. Yeah, it, it it's um it's the only thing I was ever any good at really, you know, at school, I was always, I was always good at writing. And as I say, movies, music, and cars, I enjoy writing about all three of them. <clears throat> cars are actually quite difficult to write about. And quite a few, you know, very well-known journalists of my acquaintance have over the years sort of dallied with, um, with writing about cars, not, not least uh, a gentleman called Boris Johnson, who I'm sure you've heard of, who was a, was a, a fellow GQ car columnist of mine for about 18 months back in two, 99 and 2000, I think. Uh, MPVs? What's that? MPVs? M -E -M <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, in a didn't they? <clears throat> um, I, uh, when I was an editor of Car, I, when the Aston Vantage had just been launched in 2005, and I, I got a few people I knew 
to uh, to 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 write a review because I thought it'd be interesting. And Boris was one of them. He was the editor of the Spectator at the time, and um, we met at the Spectator office. And then a friend of mine had a pub nearby. Now it's it, it's off the Gray's Inn Road in in, in central London, and uh, off he went. You know, exactly as he is now, except not Prime Minister. Um, and there's a width restrictor just around the corner, and he managed to curb all four whales on this Aston Martin in in a 15 minute test drive. Um, and my dad was a big fan. He said, "Oh, he's going to be great. He's going to be a great prime minister." And I said, "Look, Dad, this is a bloke who fucked hard my language four alloy wheels in one go on an Aston Martin." <laughs> uh, Sounds about right, really, doesn't it? He couldn't drive a car in a straight line, so I'm not sure I trust him to run the country. Um, has he sat in an M3? Because if he has, and Craig hasn't, or something I bet he has. Wrong. I bet he has. <laughs> he probably has. I mean, famously, he was he was papped, wasn't he, driving a Lamborghini Gallardo up a motorway with. Yeah. His, uh, I think he had two two sons in the seat and one in the footwell, you know. So um, <laughs> I'm sure he's. I'm, I'm going to have to try and find out if he has driven a BMW M3. I, I shall make that a mission. But um, yeah, I don't. Why did I bring Boris Johnson up? Why did I do such a terrible <laughs> thing? What a disaster! I have a quick. I have a question off the back of that. Then, have yeah. you ever tested a car? Or had a couple of days with a car and thought at the end of it. There's nothing I can write about this. It's it's so meh. No, you've reminded me why. Yeah, the the chat Boris Boris was yeah he was he was he's a great journalist. That's um, say what you like about him as a prime minister, not very good, uh, <clears throat> but he could write. Um, and the, uh, Miranda Sawyer is another friend of mine who's a great great award winning journalist. Wrote about cars for a squire for six months, and she said, "I don't know how you managed to do it month in month out. I've run out of things to say." Um, no, I mean to answer your question. Um, if a car was incredibly boring, that would be quite funny. You know, you're just always looking for an angle, really. I think, yeah. um, you know, it's quite often said that there's there's no such thing as a bad car anymore. Uh, and there probably isn't, you know, whenever, in the sense of like when I was started reading car magazines and as a, as a kid, you know. So I'm going back to driving around, being with my dad, driving around Bangor in 1982 or 83. There were a lot of crap cars still on sale then. You know, um, big companies like Ford were still kind of flogging very average stuff. Um, it's it, most virtually, I don't think there is a truly bad car on sale, but there are some that are just boring and underwhelming. And I mean, BMW, more. BMW make a few, not yeah. the M3, but that thing they make, I can't even remember. What is it? The two series Grand Coupe? Oh, the Grand Tour <laughs> is awful. Oh, yeah, man. it's been mentioned on here a few times. Yeah, that thing it looks like you know those <clears throat> adverts you get for insurance companies where they use a generic car mm, and then yeah, photoshop the nose and tape the badges up and stuff. I think that that is it the Grand Tour or the two? Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. Yeah, it looks like an average price car. Yeah, I, and that that's an interesting one. I did a, a Zoom call with uh, Adrian Van Hoydonk, who's the board board member for design at BMW. And the guy, a guy called Domo Goy Dukech, who I think was responsible for the four series and the the famously polarizing grill. And it was a two-hour session, me and about five other journalists. Um, and you know, the questions got a little bit punchy, but you could just tell that we were all just sitting there, just kind of itching to go, What are you doing? What have you done? You used to make good-looking cars. What is going on? You know, um, do you think there was a certain acceptance all around in the room? Everyone knew what everyone was hinting at, but didn't. But obviously, didn't want to embarrass anyone, or you know, 
because at the it's, end of the day, they have to build a product and, and ship it and, and, and the deal's done and it's out there. And Yeah, well, the thing is, they're selling their cars. You know, I think they had, even in the pandemic, uh, interrupted year, you know, BMW's making more money than ever, I think. And and also, I've written so much about car design over the years and uh, criticized people for not being brave enough. So when someone actually is, you know, uh, actually does step up or go, okay, all right, but... You know, and, and and I've got to know quite a few of these guys now. In particular, you know, the car design side is the side that I'm I'm probably most interested in. Um, and the process fascinates me. But you're absolutely right. I I cannot quite get my head around when they were maybe not even the four series that new iX, which I'm going to drive mid September. It's bloody um, awful looking thing. Just, you think, Jason, was it a, a purposeful move to appeal to uh, different regions like China? I mean, that's often said. Uh, I think more with the X7 and the 7 Series with the big elongated kidney grill. Yes, I mean, uh, that, that's what everybody's been, or not everybody, but that, that's what sort of informs speculations. Oh, you know, they're, they're, they're gearing themselves very much. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Just from talking to Adrian and, and, and Domogoy, I just think they're, they're really, uh, they do just want to rip it up. They really do. I and I I I don't mind that you know because if you if you look through history, you know the the, the Citroen DS that came out in 1955, the Mini in '59, um, the original Ford Mustang in '64, maybe you know we could we could name a lot of these famous cars and you, and you just think okay you know that's an historic time as so well we're sort of in a very post-modern post 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 yeah. period of the car at the moment and. Um, well, I always know that Bangle was decried at the time for his designs in the late '90s and early 2000s, and then you look back at, at some of the cars he he built, and they're yeah. they're they're pretty iconic. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, I, I, I I got to know Chris reasonably well, and I I, I was always a, a, a fair. I wouldn't say you know a, a cheerleader for Chris Bangle. Um, the other thing is that Van Hooydonk is actually the Z9 concept car in 1999. I think was the first time the flame surfacing or the bangle butt, as it was known, was premiered. Van Hooydonk did that. Um, and I think Kareem Habib did the 5 Series exterior, the 2003 one. I can never remember the code numbers, the E60, I think, mm-hmm. um, which I personally think is one of the great pieces of product design. It's not a beautiful car, but it's a brilliant piece of product design. Brilliant. I, I, it needs slightly larger wheels than they often have. And maybe at the moment it's... Because it's 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 effectively a twenty year old design, because <clears throat> I'm sure it was signed off in two thousand or two thousand and one before it came out in two thousand and three. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, Bangle was you know slated at the time, and and he was an odd. He's a fairly odd guy, Chris. You know, he was uh, he was going <laughs> to. I'm aware Northern Ireland, and forgive me, I don't, I haven't ascertained your any of your religious kind of um, associations or so forget. I'm not going oh, with to no, with no flags in the back of her. <laughs> <laughs> no flags. Be very careful. You always have to check. Um, but Chris, Chris was training to be a Methodist te- uh, preacher, um, which I found quite fascinating. And and you know he he proselytized. You know, he was a bit of a preacher, and I think he did a bit of a Jedi mind trick in the BMW management. Um, but it worked, you know. And and then Audi started copying, and then everybody, you know, he shook it up. But you could, of course, go well. The same thing's going on with BMW right now. But I, I, I really, really, really seriously doubt that anyone in 20 years' time is going to look back on the IX and go, we all hated it at the time. But yeah. now, look, I mean, God knows, if we end up in a world where everything looks like the IX, then you can shoot me. 
I think in the last few episodes of this year podcast, we've been very critical of the new four series and that and that you know giving snout as they call it. But then maybe we should actually give them some kudos for actually being different. No, because like I, I for one have spent years sort of criticizing manufacturers because every new model from some of them looks more like a facelift. Sorry, facelift of the previous one than an yeah. actual uh, new new design. Yeah, too iterative, iterative, yeah. Uh, and uh, and at yeah. something else. That, speaking of design, hmm. and I have a reason for asking this question personally because I've ordered one, the Lotus Amira. Yeah, what 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 do you think? Well, I saw it um, almost a year ago uh, as a full size rendering. Uh, Russell Carr, who's the head designer at Lotus, I think is a bit of an unsung hero. Actually, he's very good. Um. I when I saw it a year ago, I was like, "Oh man, this is great." Uh, I sat in a in an interior back as well. Um, actually, I drove an Evora four ten GT a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's nothing really wrong with that car. I mean, we all know those the chassis guys at Lotus are superb. You know, very clever. Uh, the way they get, you know, there, there's a bunch, there's a set of cars that work very well in the demanding roads of County Down or elsewhere in Northern Ireland. You know, they just breathe. You know, the the, the suspension kinematics are so well sorted and the evora i mean I, it blew me away but the interior is absolutely diabolical so that that's where they had to make big strides and assuming they they build the thing properly uh i think they'll do very well with it um the only issue with the way it looks having seen it seen it initially in september and then i saw the mclaren artura in december and i went oh well it looks like the lotus amira and then i was at the the reveal of the amira in early july uh Yes, the McLaren. And in fact, Millbrook, the, the McLaren have a, a testing center there. So there were three or four Arturas running around today. It's a good looking car, um, but it looks like an Amira. And and on that basis, you know, okay, so the Amira is, um, you know, much more accessible. It's going to be about 60 grand, a lot of money, but it's still accessible compared to 220 grand McLaren. I, I did, it's, When that happens and you're like, oh, these are desirable sports cars and they're kind of canceling themselves out, you know? Yeah. Um, but we know why, you know, the architecture of a mid-engine sports car invariably demands the same solutions, you know, the big air intakes to feed cooling air to the radiators at the side, whatever the aero requirements are. Um, <clears throat> you know, another, again, another name drop, but Flavio Manzoni, who's the design director at Centro Stile and Ferrari, is a, is a man I've got to know rather well. And Flavio was a uh, a wonderful he's a <clears throat> an architect by education concert level pianist amongst other things quite a poetic artistic kind of soul um uh, i i don't know what you guys thought of the ferrari 296 gtb uh i i, I loved that whenever i saw that i was mm-hmm. i was in arnello and they showed it to us um imagine being the design director for ferrari the the weight of history arguably the most beautiful back catalog of cars of of any car maker uh, and he gets criticized a lot. But the reason I bring it up is I think Flavio has become expert at reconciling the demands of aerodynamics and aesthetics. Um, I, I think, I mean, okay, it's again, it's probably almost signed off 10 years ago. The LaFerrari, when I first saw that, you know, the, the, the requirements for that car to generate the downforce that it generates or the FXXK. Which was, of course, was the you know the track only evolution of that car. I mean, it's a phenomenal looking thing. Phenomenal. It's not beautiful in the way that a historic Ferrari is, but as a, a contemporary hypercar that needs to <clears throat> deliver on the track and generate phenomenal aero, but also looks astonishing. Uh, I, I would say that that that's a great example. 
Um, <clears throat> so the Amira and the Artura, um, they're both very well executed, but just a little bit generic, I think. Okay. Okay. Well, I, 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 I can only really afford one of them. Well, well no, I mean, I, <laughs> you're a good man, no. I mean, I'm delighted well. you have. Um, because, you know, Lotus is a company that needs, um, it, it, you know, the faithful, we, the, the, the faithful need to step up with the Amira. Um, and also, I think it's going to be, it, well, we know it's going to be the last sort of internal combustion uh, car they do. Uh, which one did you go for, the V6 or the one with the AMG engine? So I, ha- I haven't got the choice yet because they haven't actually released the exact pricing and, and spec and all the rest. But uh, it will probably, if I can afford it, when I actually know the actual price, because they say it's going to be 60. But then the rumor is the V6 manual is going to be 75, 80, 80 grand. That might, that might be push, push me out of it. So, so I don't know, but but it would be the V6 manual would be the one that uh, I would definitely want with a limited slip diff and all the rest. It's the yeah, only yeah. one to have. Well, I mean, based on the dynamics of the Evora, I thought this this I drove that car in 2010 or 2011, and uh, I remember the launch on a circuit in Spain, and it's it remains you know dynamically it's peerless. Sorry about that. Had some technical issues there. We can uh, blame Steve Jobs for that one. I watched a brilliant documentary about him the other week. He he was a he was a car car guy, a big Porsche fan, um, and he had a series of um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, you know Steve Jobs was an unusual man. I think um, in many ways um, for sure. Um, but one of the other thing, one of the things he did was he discovered a loophole whereby he could. If he if he registered a car or not registered, if he had a new car every six months, he could drive it without having number plates on it. And then when the when the period of time ran out and he had to register it, he'd just buy another car. So he had he, every six months he would buy a new AMG SL fifty five back That's in right. the day, um, and then a Porsche, I think various Porsche nine elevens. But um, but he loved cars. And Johnny Ive, who was the great design genius at Apple, who I'm talking to you on a MacBook Air and. The, the iPhone, all the rest of it. Johnny Ive is, uh, is, a, is a huge car fanatic as well. Um, and in fact, is currently working on a project with a major manufacturer that I can't say anything about because I'll probably be shot. In the automotive space, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because his, his be de- designs are up there with the classics from Braun, classic Mercedes, all those sort of just oh, amazing, yeah. iconic designs, yeah. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, you know, either the original iPod or maybe the first iPhone, um, uh, or indeed the, the you know the lap the laptop, the MacBook Air, just just the and I know <clears throat> you know when the iPhone came out. I mean, the iPhone arguably is <laughs> it wouldn't be a stretch to say that it's been the single most influential factor on cars and car design in the last fifteen years as well. I think every single car engineer and designer, when that thing appeared, they just probably looked at it and went fucking hell <laughs> we're gonna have to raise our game guys you know and you know it's massively influenced the shape of things and the feel of things and the the, the way you interact you know whether you touch screens or whatever and, and in fact we're in that we're right in the middle of that as well you know i think car manufacturers are rebranding themselves as um software companies you know they're technology companies mm. specialize in personal mo- mobility nobody is a car manufacturer anymore because that's just not a very cool thing to be in 2021 and that's actually, that's consumer driven and consumer led as well. People want, you know, one of the key things you see advertising a car, it has Apple CarPlay. As, yeah. a, as in, who cares about the performance or the handling dynamics or something, you know, for for, yeah. for Joe Public, 
they want the connectivity and, and the ease of use. And they actually, I actually think a lot of people want the, the features that really sometimes bug us, like annoying lane assist and these uh, oh. warnings we get and all that crap. But, Don't start me on that shit. Oh, man. you've Yeah, that, the, yeah. I've got an E53 AMG Estate at the moment, and uh, and I tried the new EQS two days ago, you know, the new yeah. all-electric, top-of-the-range mark, and it had the hyperscreen, which you may have read about, which is just like an OLED display across the entire width of the car. Very clever. Um, and, yeah, it almost immediately started to annoy me. Um, you know, I... I uh, I mean, a lot of it is legislation driven. I don't even think the car makers necessarily want to put this stuff in, but the lawmakers are are changing the, the you know that's that's the way it's going. And of um, you know, obviously autonomy is coming, so cars have to be at least up to level two or level three ready for autonomy. So therefore, you have to have lane assist and you know all that other nonsense i think i i'm fairly confident saying that the people that are gathered around this evening none of us particularly care about that stuff you know uh certainly andy from talking to you yesterday you know and then a picture of you sideways in the porsche uh the cayman gt4 you know I, I, yeah i think we're a dying breed though unfortunately you know i i think you know we're, we're probably still the sorts of people who would argue the merits of electrohydraulic power steering versus fully electric power steering because it really matters um oh. But totally. most people don't give a toss, you know? No, no. I think, but, ironically, the, uh, the the more safety aids that they introduce, the more they're taking away the skills of the driver and what people need to actually learn to be able to drive efficiently. Without a doubt. But, if, but of course, when you make that point, I mean, even Ferrari now, when you drive the latest Ferraris, and I was over in Italy about four or five weeks ago, and the trip culminated again. I know I'm going to sound like an amazingly huge tosser here, but... Uh, I had a day at Fiorano in the SF90 Stradale Assetto Fiorano. Um, and, you know, the morning on the standard tires. And then we went and had some lunch. And then and while we were away, they put the track tires on that thing. And uh, they showed me the telemetry. Now, I, I have been lucky enough to go around Fiorano a lot over the years. I've done virtually every Ferrari launch since 1997, apart from the La Ferrari, which was really annoying because I really wanted to drive that one. <laughs> um but anyway, the test driver, Raffaele Di Simone, he, he did his time. And then there were me and two or three other guys. And we we did our time. And, and the guy afterwards said, okay, here's your telemetry. And um, it was all, I was so close to Rafa. And that that's the chief test driver. And I'm, I'm a competent driver. You know, I've learned how to, how to handle a car over the years. But it wasn't really to do with that. It was the systems on that car are so sophisticated, mm-hmm. you know, beyond... I remember driving a 430 Scooter Rea, which is still one of my favorite cars. Um, and that had the very first iteration, I think, of not their side slip control thing, but it had a pretty advanced. It was the first one with an E-diff. Uh, the 430 had an E-diff. Um, the first yeah. one with the, with the Manatino? The 430 was, yeah. And then the Scooter Rea, which came about three years later, four years later, it had this, yeah, the traction control system on it. Because I remember saying to the PR, it's not really traction control, it's traction optimization. And he went, that's exactly how to think about it. Um, well, I mean, that that's like ger- super annuated geriatric, geriatric nonsense compared to what they have now. Um, and yeah, so, and, and you know, and okay, average or above average driver could get around Fiorano almost as quickly as their, as their chief test driver. Uh, it was only braking where I was where I was off really because I've never been that great on the brakes. I always brake a little bit too early, but getting on the throttle, you know, exiting corners at Fiorano where 
in any previous Ferrari, you need to, you know, just balance your the throttle and the steering a little bit, and you can feel it. That's you're on the limits of adhesion, and then the, and then there's another there's a quick ride, so you throttle off a little bit and just balance it. No, in this thing it was just you could be full throttle everywhere, <clears throat> and the electronics sorted it out. So then what I did was turn everything off, and sure enough, it's a frigging handful. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was it was it was not easy. It was like the uh, the F12 TDF was the same. That was the first one with the active rear axle. Well, I watched Rafa, the chief test driver, spin that car. Even he couldn't drift it because it was, it was so edgy. You know, like fighter aircraft where the avionics keep the thing in the air, give it that incredible maneuverability, yeah. but 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 are integral to the functionality. Um, it was the same thing with, with this. So I, I worry about that. You know, that what I want is is a car that, that, as you said, you know, if you have a certain skill level, you turn all that crap off. Well, it's good stuff, but you know what I mean. And um, but it doesn't hang you out to dry, you know. You still, and I believe your 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 Amira, which is not in any way generic at all, or does not look like the McLaren Artur in any way, <laughs> will probably indulge you in that way. Uh, it'll 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 be a, a beautifully set up car with all the traction control and ESP switched off. Well, like that's you know that's what lights my fire. And look, I, th- I possibly part of the reason why Ferrari have to have such complex systems is because of the the power the power outputs of those cars now are just absolutely ridiculous. Like the supercar level now is eight hundred plus horsepower, and then yeah. and then you get you get to the AV the ridiculous EV end of things with yeah. Remac and uh, even the the Lotus hypercar and stuff like that. You know where it's two thousand yeah. horsepower, and and the driver just becomes such a small component of the whole experience. I well is the impression that I get because you have to have this other person with a CPU behind it to, to sort you out or, or not as the case, because you can't get a bloody oh. superconductor for yeah. a, a chip. Yeah. Indeed. A, a modern hot hatch will piss over an 80s Ferrari. So it just shows you how, you, how much the game has moved along. Yeah, that's a good point. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I co-own an F355 with a, with a man who's actually from Whitehead originally, but he's been living over here for years. Um, as an aside, Anytime you ever read anything in any magazine or in any website about an affordable Ferrari, it's absolute bullshit. There is no such thing. They 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 are phenomenally expensive cars to maintain and run, which might be why I'm on the verge of getting out of my 355 because it's 26 years old and it's reached the point in its life where it needs a big cash injection. And I haven't, well, firstly, I haven't got the sum of money that's required. And secondly, my wife won't let me spend (laughs) (laughs) anyway. Um, But the point being that it's a, well, early nineties, mid nineties Ferrari. um, And I, and, and, and a very analog car. Um, It's, it's, it's the manual gearbox. Um, And the, the point I'm going to make now is would I have enjoyed driving it as much around Fiorano as the SF90 Stradale? Yes, absolutely. I would have been about 15 seconds a lap slower, but I probably would have had a different sort of fun. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think this is a really important area for all of us who love cars. Yeah. More engagement. But, but the thing is, you know, you can turn it all off, you know. Um the M2, you can switch if you find a series of nice empty roundabouts. I shouldn't be condoning such things, but you know there's an off button for a reason. And you know what's important is that that the, the, the that what's left whenever all the electronics are disabled 
is fundamentally sorted. And the people I know who work in the companies who develop these things, they believe in that as well. So, but I do think it's 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 getting it's getting so complicated now that I drove a prototype of the uh, Lotus Avaya. Uh, it was limited to fourteen hundred brake horsepower, um, but uh, it 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 felt it felt like the chassis was pretty 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 good. And I've driven the Rimac as well. And Matty Rimac is is a mischievous character, so there is there is a drift mode in that car. Um, and the, the 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 way the software and the networking and the systems and that thing. He has got some clever guys working for him because that that thing has got multiple personalities. It really has. Um, it's mind blowing that car. Matty Rimac. Me, that's, like, the, that's the pinnacle of where we're at at the minute. I think the Rimac. The Rimac. Yeah. It is, and of course the that's, that's here. That's that's the top it, at the minute. It is, and and I'm happy to say that the thing that disappoints me about a lot of EVs, as much as I enjoy driving them, and I do is that, you, as we all know, if you have an internal combustion engine and and you change gear, even, even if it's flappy paddles or whatever, you know, there's still vibrations coming through the steering wheel and through your backside, and the whole car is alive with, with the vibrations that that an engine and a powertrain generate, and you don't get that in an EV, you know? Um, and and the thrill of a swell of torque and things like that. I'd, I'd actually been reading about the fact that EVs, because the torque delivery is so linear, People were saying, "Well, why not actually give them a more petrol Step. turbo like deli- power delivery to make them more exciting?" Yeah, 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 they could essentially be mapped in a way you want to mimic the behavior of anything, really, couldn't they? They could, they could, and and that is definitely a possible answer. But then I don't know how you guys feel about uh, like the EQS I drove the other day. Um, <laughs> they offered two sound profiles: one called Silver Waves, and one called um, Vivid Flow. Um, and basically, when you accelerate, you get you, the, the one that I think it was Silver Waves, I think, is the, the, the one that most people prefer. And it basically makes a bit of a, it's the sort of sound, the induction roar, and the, the sort of sound you get from an internal combustion engine. Um, the BMW i8 did this as well. It had a synthesized, you know, that fabulous little one and a half liter three pot turbo. And it made a lovely warble whenever you accelerated, but it was fake, you know, it was, it was. Mm enhanced and I, I just don't know if whatever okay you might be hearing it but you know that it's not real and and with engines i think you know like the 355 my god does it sound good when you hit 4000 rpm in third and fourth gear <clears throat> and it's it's real it's organic but then we were talking about music yesterday and i know andy you know you play keyboards and stuff um and i'm a, i'm a, i'm 50 so i i was a, i was old enough when i was buying pop records i was buying Pet Shop Boys and and, uh, and and synth pop and Human League and all the rest of it. I don't want to sound like an old bastard who kind of went, "Oh, it's not a real musician." There's no you know, guitars in the background there. You know, we all know that 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 machines can generate things of great emotion. So there's no reason why an EV can't do it. Well, look, isn't it? It's it's interesting too because I think, and certainly, I'd love to know how you got to where you are at the moment, uh, Jason, and a bit of a more story about. Your, your journey from Northern Ireland to where you are now. But part of that, I think it's been a really interesting time to live through the sort of how the the car, cars have changed, how the world has changed over that time too, and the influence yeah. of the two. So like from the from uh, sort of mid-90s up until now, so like we've had the internet and <clears throat> all this technology uh, or vehicles, the, the max power thing that's suddenly moved into uh a totally different type of world, the enthusiasts we are now, you know, things have changed so much. I think if a young person nowadays, whether they're 17 or 18, 
maybe aren't as excited about driving because really they're thinking, well, in 10 or 15 years time, that's going to be autonomous. And why yeah. should I even care? Whereas we come from a totally different we do. viewpoint. We do. We do. Um, again, at the risk of sounding like a terrible old git. Yeah, I, I, I did talk about this, you know, both in terms of my journey through through the profession, through, through the media, as opposed to just writing about cars. Um, I honestly think that uh, that it was a golden time. Um, and yeah, I get very nostalgic for, for the nineties. I think, um, it was a good time. Car, cars were great. Uh, it was an exciting time in the media before, before the internet really got, got its hands on everything, you know? Um, so I worked on my, my, I started, I did a degree in law at Manchester, but I went there because of the music scene and, um, it coincided with Manchester and, you know, the stone roses and the happy Mondays and primal scream and all all that. Great was the Has- Hacienda was that Manchester? Yeah, I was. Hacienda was the famous nightclub owned by New Order, and I was down there every Thursday night for the indie night. Um, famously, um, the night that um, the Happy Mondays, the Stone Roses, 808 States, and I think Morrissey uh, were all on top of the pops. November 1989, it was a sort of Manchester takeover, and they used to record Top of the Pops the night before. And I went to the Hacienda that night, having seen the Happy Mondays uh, do the Hallelujah EP or whatever. And Sean Ryder was in the Hacienda, off his nut, as you can imagine. And I was like, I can't believe this. I'm in the Hacienda, and there's there's Sean. You know, it was like that. It was great. Uh, <clears throat> and then, um, but the, the downside for me was I had to do a law degree, which I absolutely detested. Uh, really wasn't for me at all, but I'm, I got through it. And then I did the Cardiff Journalism course because I wanted to get into magazine journalism and weirdly because we've talked about max Parr, um the guardian used to have a media section l- long ago ceased to exist but there was an ad section uh job advertising you know j- jobs for in magazines and there was a little po number and it was new car magazine and then you just had to write to this po box number but it turned out to be emap which was the publisher and it was <clears throat> it was for max Parr, and i applied and got called in to they said write 500 words about why fast modified cars make you attractive to the opposite sex. <laughs> You're not going to believe. <laughs> and I wrote 500 words on why, because I was a, you know, I wasn't really into mod- modified cars. I, I, I have to put that out there. Don't throw me off. Um, and I wrote about how a car like the BMW M5 was much more up my street because it was a Q car. It was basically a dragster, but you couldn't really tell, but it was a four door saloon. And I even referenced the Sados in their modified Vauxhall Novas in the train station car park <laughs> in this piece that I sent in and I got, and I, I got called in for an interview and the guy that was the editor of Mac, and this was six months before it launched, it launched in August, 1993. And I'll never forget. I sat in the boardroom of EMAP and he slid the dummy of Max Parr, you know, the thing they'd been working on to that point, And it slid in slow motion across the table and landed in front of me, and it had a dimmer converted Peugeot 205, the T16 lookalike. Yeah. And I looked at the cover, and I looked at him, and I went, I haven't got this job. (laughs) 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 But your piece was really funny. And then six months later, uh, well, seven months later, I I was in the same building, and I got a job as a sub-editor on Performance Car Magazine, which is the mag that Jeremy Clarkson started on. And And that's how I got going, really. But then I left performance car to go to loaded magazine as production editor um so i I left cars and 
you know, as I say, it was a, fa- a wonderful time for for pop culture and uh, and media culture. So Max Power was doing this amazing thing and becoming this phenomena. And, and and weirdly, my my ex girlfriend ended up editing it for a while. She started off as the editorial assistant and ended up editing Max Power. Uh, she's now married to Dickie Meaden, actually, but that's another story. Um, and I ended up on Loaded because I thought I want to get out of cars for a bit and, and see what it's like. Working. I don't know if you guys remember Loaded magazine. Oh, we remember Loaded. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Before you were on the call, you were like, Loaded, Loaded, Loaded. <laughs> we can't forget it. Yeah. Many, so, many that, notes around the room. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, well, you'll remember, you know, what that, that what, what, what that was like, you know, and that, that was like being a, I don't know, it, it was phenomenal. I was production editor, so I was the poor bastard who had to get the thing out every month, but, um, no, I mean, what an experience that was. And then, and then I, then I got the editor of Car headhunted me, and I said, okay, because Car was the magazine I started buying, <clears throat> and I remember buying the first issue in July 1981 in Stuart Miller's and in, in Bangor. Mm-hmm. So to end up on Car was like, oh my god, I can't believe this is this is going to happen. And then the editor of Loaded, James Brown, said, no, I have more money, stay, don't go. And I went, yeah, it's a bit quick to go from Loaded. So I, so I turned down Rob Monroe Hall, who's now the president and CEO of Bauer, which. Bar Media, oh, Cool bar, FM. Yeah, yeah. So I can say bar properly. I don't have to put a fake English accent on. If you uh, say bar, bar to people, like, bar media, what the fuck, what's that? What are you talking about? Oh, Bauer. You're going to say the. Is that like a parshar? <laughs> exactly, parshar. Uh, yeah, and then and then I thought, well, I've screwed that. I'll never work for him again. And then six months later, he came back and said, I really want you to come to Car Magazine. So yeah, it was great. And then I did Driven and then Top Gear and blah, 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 blah. Well, so, incredible, absolutely incredible, and 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 what a time! It was a good time, though. The nineties, nineties were a good time. Because now I I look at the, well, even so, I started RMS as a forum in two thousand and one. But forums are now old hat; they're old hat a decade ago. Because we've yeah. had forums and we've had blogs, and then then it's YouTube, and then it's Instagram, and and then this influencer thing, and it's yeah. and it's and it's all changed and. And even you know the 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 long form journalism is is a much rarer thing now. And print print is a fairly uh, rare thing, to, but it's but it's there. And it's, I I love the fact that we, you talked about the the road rat magazine you're you're writing for, which is a, which is a new thing. And it's nice to see something. Okay, it, it's it's clearly more niche. It's not auto it's not auto express, but it's nice no. to see something like that come out of the the noise of all these other media that's a very nice way of putting it uh, very elegantly put um yes um but uh but yeah I, it's another thing that makes me feel like an old an old man really you know where i'm like my, my although i did tv and stuff and people go oh you should do more youtube stuff or do and i'm like fucking oh, god man it, i know quite a few of those guys and they work very very hard and some of them have done exceptionally well um I don't have a lot of time for a lot of the influencers because I think there are a lot of chanters and blaggers out there who have nothing much of any great import or insight to say, but just think they can phone up and blag an IDR8 for a week or whatever. Um, you know, it's about having an opinion, about having an attitude, about having something to say. And I personally, yeah, you know, I've, as you know, I've written written a book. And, and even though it was a sort of history of Bond cars, I tried very hard to make it something engaging every time I sit down and write anything, you know, I, I strongly suspect that any of you guys could probably, you, you, you may well have a, you know, great talent for it. You know, there are a lot of funny people out there. Um, a lot of 
anyone who says that when they end up doing something like I've ended up doing that, they haven't been lucky. They're lying. There's a huge amount of luck involved. You know, um, you can make your own. You've got to do move at the right time. Uh, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say, you know, I did driven with James May and he got fired from the first series. Then he went to top gear for six months and he got fired from that. He wasn't even on the new Clarkson rebranding or re, you know reimagination of top gear it was jason Doe who did that i was go- i was gonna say you you were the you were uh, you were the first of the second of the two jasons of top, I gear. Jason of top gear i have that distinction um i screen tested i didn't particularly hit it off with jeremy i get on better with him now i think than i did then um and um you know and then they, and then they i remember i vividly remember being in north london somewhere and phoning james because he's a good mate and a wonderful man. I mean, that's a guy I've got massive respect for. Um, and he went, I, I said, how are you doing? He went, oh, yeah. You know, we were talking about Michael Harvey, who's now the editor of The Road Rat. He just mm-hmm. got the job as editor of Top Gear. And I, I said, so, Mike, he's a new editor of Top Gear. And he went, yes. And I appear to have got my old job back presenting it as well. And I was like, oh, well, well done, you know. And um, and the rest is history. And, 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 you know, every I remember where I live now, stopping and um the, the the wife of the vicar who married my wife and i because we got married in the church in this village uh she was walking past and i went how are you doing you know just polite chit chat over the hedge as you do in a sort of little middle class village and she went oh ooh, is that the time i've got to go top gear starts in 10 minutes and i thought fucking hell this is a <laughs> wife's been off to watch it they really cracked it. Um, yeah, you know, so I had to watch these bunch of guys become super famous around the world and multi-multi-gazillionaires while I, I was neither of those things. Um, well, so there were, you know, there were some tough times. But well, that's the way well, like, I'm, go- I'm going to talk about this because I have, I have the tome, which is the, the, bond, the bond book, the Bond Cars of Definitive History. Yep. I only started reading it last night, but, but I immediately, like, I was, the inside, uh, this, this thing is unbelievable. This is, you didn't this get is past the, the inlay and- the front, oh, cover, the, the front cover inlay is incredible. So it is it is hand drawn drawings of of the car chase from uh, from Goldeneye uh, with the with, with three three five five and the, right. the DB five. Yep, and DB5, yeah, ridiculous. Another example of movie making fantasy. You know, to think that that a, a, a an F three five five couldn't outrun a db5 ridiculous and and to think someone would take either of those cars on the stones because that because xenia on a top goes spinning off onto the side like ah oh, the stone chips i don't mm-hmm. think everyone thinks she's mud flaps <laughs> no, 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 no. it's very painful to watch when you get to that chapter there's actually a photo um i mean the the, the great because it's a, an official eon publication so the great privilege there was to get into their archive and basically they have every film there you go yep We'll, we'll stick that in the in the uh, in the show notes. Awesome. Yep. Well, if you keep going, there's a shot of the three five five fully crossed up. Actually, um, it's a it's an in, inset shot, but it's fully sideways. Yeah, um, there it is. There. That's it. That that yeah. So I'm pointing at my screen. Yeah, the lower one. Yeah. Well, I find that, and I insisted that went in the book because you know I, I I'd never seen it. The book is full of previously unpublished stuff because we we dredged all this wonderful stuff out of the archive. Oh, the, the, so so I, I read uh, pretty much. I got through I got through Doctor No last night, and, well, f- and first of all, it's, it's like a chapter in every film. And see, when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, I am going to absolutely love this." And and then I'm like, I had to spend about three quarters of an hour on Wikipedia. And it's like because it was uh, Doctor No was filmed in is it at Kingston, and there was all the sort of uh, grey import type 
European cars in the background and you, and you go through every single one in every frame. And I'm like, I'm, um, this is going to take me a while, but I am going to enjoy this. It's, it's incredible. Like, so uh, if, if, if you, if you're in, in any shape or form, like the Bond cars, and I, and I presume this is, this is not just that, but it takes you over the decades of filmmaking, film production, and, and then, the, and then the contemporary cars of the time. I, I don't know how you're going to, ha- I haven't read on, so I don't know how you're going to manage when BMW had that deal with, uh, <laughs> I see you, I see you smiling there and, and, uh, you know, like the Z3 and, and stuff and stuff like that. I think that the, the Z8 in, uh, Z8, yeah, that was the Z3 and the Z8 and, <laughs> And um, the remote control 740, and I was like, oh, bring back yeah. the Astons or the Lotus. Well, I have a big soft spot for the E38 7 series, actually. I think it's the Me most, too. I love that 7 series. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, some chapters were more challenging than others. Um, that, the, the BMW era, perhaps a little bit, but, um, that, you know, I, the, I, early on, I remember one of the preliminary meetings with um, there's a wonderful woman called Meg Simmons, who's the head archivist at E.ON., and they have a big warehouse in in, a, in an undisclosed area of North London, where a lot of the props from the films are. And I, so um, I have the Nokia phone. I think that he that Bond uses in the in Tomorrow Never Dies in that sequence. Yep, I've actually held. She had this is the prop from that film. Awesome. Um, the Daniel Craig has a has a. I've held James Bond's passport. Um, and it actually, you know, it's Daniel Craig's picture, and but it says James, whatever his middle name, Bond, the the correct birth date. Although that's nonsense because he, you know, he should be about 120 years old by now, <laughs> shouldn't he? <laughs> um, but yeah, and then then she took me into the the warehouse, and you know, it's just full of all this the golden gun. I mean, they have all of this stuff. Not the, there's some stuff's gone missing over the years, and part of her remit is to buy it if it comes up for sale. Um, uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, the two main producers, basically there is a fund for her. To, if she phones them up and goes, right, the the hat from Goldfinger's come up and it's forty five grand, they might go go on them. You know, she has a a, a war chest to buy props and things. Um, but the photographic director who used to work in Empire Magazine and we had the preliminary meeting and she's lovely, Debbie. She was called is called, and she said so how many cars are you talking about? And I said, well, I've done a bit of preliminary research, Debbie, and I reckon it's about 225. And she literally nearly fell off her seat. She went, oh my God, I thought you were talking about seven or eight or like, you know, the DB5. And I went, no, 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 This is going to be a celebration of all the weird shit that's floating around in the background. <clears throat> the more obscure, the better, as far as I'm concerned. <coughs> Excuse me. So when you go, when you start watching the films, yeah. Particularly the '80s stuff, I think, is some. <coughs> excuse me, there's some, there's some good stuff. Oh well, well, Dave, because I'm a big Lotus head. Obviously, like Spy Who Loved Me is just, is just peak Bond car. <coughs> with, with, without a doubt, it, it's it's the obvious one, but for for an obvious reason, uh, the, yeah. the the cinema in Lisburn was running it a couple of years ago. Back when you could go to the cinema, you know, the rerunning old film Spy Who Loved Me was on, and I was like to the wife, "Let's go to see Spy Spy Who Loved Me," and she was like, "What?" And no. So I went on my own for the first time. <laughs> you know, for free at Christmas. But I just like, uh, I was like a pig in shit watching that film. So I can only imagine, like, even with your experience, you just not have to pinch yourself. I'm like, what? How, how, how have I engineered this? This is incredible. Well, yeah, the, the, there were quite a few times during that project where I thought, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't always have, my glass isn't always half full. 
and I do have a tendency to kind of dwell on the on the sides of things that I probably shouldn't. And I try and <clears throat> I might need to gla- get a glass of water in a minute. I'm, I'm getting over a horrible, horrible stinky cold. Um, but yeah, the bond thing. Um, yes, there were times when I was just this is this is amazing. This is truly. I mean, just finding stuff. You know, the, going through the 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 archive and. You could see that there have been so many books about James Bond over the years, but no one had ever been through all the images and going, holding up the transparencies, the pre-digital era with an eye on, is there a car in this image? And every time I find something, I'll be like, right, set that aside, set that aside. And we find some wonderful stuff. Oh, well, it, it looks incredible. Um, I haven't got that far, but I hope there's a good bit on the two the 2000 GT, the Toyota from uh, uh, You Only Live Twice. Is that yeah, right? 1967. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only reason why they, I mean, you may know this, but the only reason why they they, they, they were going to have the, the coupe, but Sean Connery was too tall to fit in it. The 2000 GT, I've, I've, I've been in one and it's, a, I'm six foot three. It's very compact. It's, it's about the size of a Mazda MX-5, <coughs> excuse me, or a Toyota GT86 a compact car and Connery couldn't fit in it so they they chopped the roof off well here we we saw you on our screens recently uh but uh, for the car years maybe you guys recorded that ages ago in the uh, in transport museum maybe you weren't even here for it and it was green screen i don't know uh no they the vicky and uh, alex did the driving in yeah yeah they did in december i i i texted vicky because of she's an old friend in fact vicky worked on max power back in the day as well um yeah so we, I've known her since 1994, I think. And I just went, what did you do? What deal did you do with the weather gods? I can't. And she went, yeah, and it was December as well. So they got very lucky. Um, my bits were done in a car, uh, uh, historic car showroom in West London somewhere in mid-January, I think. So, uh, yeah, Jim Wiseman, the director of it, uh, he's a good guy. And, um, yeah, he just asked me if I fancied doing a, being a talking head. So... Uh, Richard Porter is one of the other guys as well. Yeah, well, well, look, look, it was good because it was the good Northern. It was the nice Northern Irish connection too, because of obviously yeah. where the show was being filmed. And I, and I tell you what, just as a, an aside to that, it the stuff that's been made in Northern Ireland, like Game of Thrones, who oh, would have thought? Who would great. have thought? Yeah, uh, it's absolutely nuts. And and you know, I'm so so pleased. You know, I, I, I was back there as I say last week and. My kids have been back and some forwards to Northern Ireland a lot over the years. Um, <clears throat> there was something on the TV recently. I think it was about the uh, you know the the, the hundred hundred years since the Government of Ireland Act, um, and I, I forced my son to watch. Well, he got through about forty minutes of it, and I don't talk to them too much about about the history of the country and the you know. But we were walking through Belfast, he and I, trying to find this little second-hand record shop, and we got to the sort of end of Royal Avenue, and I went. Yeah, it kind of stops here, and um, you know, and I was talking, just f- filling him in on a few things, and he's of an age where he's a bit more interested in what was going on, and and when you when you when you share memories of it, I mean, I was born in '71, so <clears throat> the '70s, as you all know, and the '80s were pretty tough times over there, and I, honestly, few things give me more pleasure than seeing Northern Ireland flourish and the film industry the titanic quarter and the big studios they have there um i think it's fabulous and and it's great you know because it's it's it there was obviously incentives to do it and so forth but it has so much to offer and i think 
I actually did a story a few years ago with Liam Cunningham, who was Davos Seaworth in Game of yeah. Thrones. Yeah, and Liam's a cool guy. Loves his cars. So I've done a few things with Liam. He's become a, a, a good mate. Uh, <clears throat> funny, him and Michael Fassbender love their cars. Michael Fassbender's racing Porsches at the moment, and he raced Ferraris a few years ago. And uh, yeah, I, I don't watch, and I've never really watched Game of Thrones, but we went to the, oh, what's it called? The, the Dark Avenue. Hedges. Dark Hedges, that's it, yeah. And um, <clears throat> we were photoed, we had a Ferrari um, GCC4 Lusso, and and one of the stars of Game of Thrones. It was very funny because that's unreal. Um, there were coach loads of tourists turning up, you know, and I'm like, this is amazing. I'd never even been been to that that Dark Hedge. I mean, I was like, this is beautiful. And there were, there were, um, you know, there were Japanese tourists and Americans and there's a couple of American tourists actually, <coughs> excuse me. And they, they were looking at this guy in his leather jacket beside the Ferrari and they were going, what are you doing? I went, oh, it's a photo shoot. Who's he? They went, he's in Game of Thrones. And they were like, ah! And, they just kind of, <laughs> <coughs> and Liam, uh, Liam didn't mind being um, surrounded by American, attractive American tourists, I have to say. And good thing I wasn't there because I, I, I've been, so Jason, what do, you, what do you think of the Ferrari? And just walk past, <laughs> walk, yeah, push him out of the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. totally, totally. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, one thing I did pick up because I did actually do a bit of research, and I, I did discuss this. I f- it felt so strange, sort of researching someone you're going to speak to. It sort of feels kind of scandalous. But but one of the things depends what you're going to bring up. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, I, I think you've mentioned this to me before that uh, a mate of yours is or was in the police and, and then you did an article on you came over on the 12th and you were out uh, with the with the riot squad yeah that's correct yeah that was a that was an unusual gq um that was a rare foray for me into the world of proper journalism the proper investigative journalism so yeah my my, um, my old school friend and he's still a very very close friend although i didn't catch up with him last week is um uh he's deputy chief constable now mark hamilton so yeah he i've known him since he was 11 and now he's at the very top of the PSNI, and I'm very proud of him. I have to say, he's a lovely man and does a does a great job. Very compassionate human being. Um, I remember him telling me he he did he sit on the parades commission. He certainly was involved with it, and some of the stories he told me about that, and I'm like, my God, you know, they, you know, that's an immovable object meeting an irresistible force or whatever the expression is. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, that 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 yeah, that was ten years ago, and um, that we we went out for a curry and a few pints, and he said, "If I could get you embedded with the, they didn't really call they didn't call them the riot police, they called them the public disorder <clears throat> police officers." I think would that be a, would that be a story? You know, you could write for GQ, and I went, "Yeah." And then um, <clears throat> his media liaison person phoned me, and she said, "Yeah, bit tricky making this happen." You know, Mark's basically. Um, offered you access that I routinely turned down to all the embedded media over here who are here all the time. And she was very happy. And I went, well, look, do whatever you can. It's going to be a major feature in GQ. And it was, you know, I think the first draft was about seven and a half thousand words or something. And we we had to edit it down because it was just too long. But um, yeah, that, that, that was another thing I was immensely proud to have done um, because it gave me a, well, it was it was incredibly exhilarating. I mean, the the year I was there, two thousand and eleven, um, <clears throat> kicked off pretty pretty seriously in uh, in the falls. Um, so we, we we saw I saw firsthand, and then in the Ardoin there was some serious riding as well. 
the then deputy chief constable had advised me in the morning. He said, you probably needed a you need, um, bulletproof vest. Have you got one and a hat and everything? And I went, uh, no. And he went, well, we have intel that there's going to be a ballistic threat. And I'm thinking, Jesus, there's actually going to be a shooter somewhere. That didn't transpire, but it was still pretty hairy, you know. And, um, and what was interesting was that was obviously July 2011. I come back to the UK and a week later, the Tottenham riots kicked off. In fact, there was a TV program on two nights ago, Mm -hmm. remembering it. And um, yeah, and as you'll recall, you know, Tottenham went nuts and they ran ransacking the whole of East London. Then it spread to Manchester and Birmingham. So in the six or seven weeks between me doing my story and filing it and it appearing in the October issue of GQ, um, Everybody was suddenly very, very attuned to the idea of public disorder and riots. Yeah. It's almost like I'd planned it. Just admit something publicly there. <laughs> if, if you, uh, it was a, a shocking coincidence. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, you know, it was funny because I watched them deploy the water cannon. And then B- Boris, who was mayor of London at the time, had bought two water cannon and was debating whether to use them on the streets of London. That's right. I remember that. <clears> you remember that? that and, the news, yeah. Yeah, and the daily, you know, right wing rags like the Daily Mail were kind of, you know, why aren't the police more heavy handed? And I'm thinking, well, I know exactly why. Sat <laughs> with my mate Mark about five weeks before that, and he'd gone, look, here's the book. This is a book of European human rights law. This is what I need to abide by. This is why I don't just, you know, send my guys and girls in all guns blazing because yeah. there's all hell to pay. And and it was absolutely fascinating. That's, that's unreal. Really? And look, we'll, we'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And and as much of, as what we're talking about as we can, we'll put links to in the show notes because we're just covering a phenomenal it, it amount is. of stuff. It is online, actually. You can't find it. GQ did archive it online, but really annoyingly, and I must take this up with someone. I went. I thought, oh, good, they put it online, so it's on GQ.co.uk. This is great. Um, lots of people were very complimentary about the story. Um, but I went through it and I'm like, there's all sorts of weird little glitches. Whoever uploaded it, there's apostrophes have gone missing and it looks like I can't I can't uh, use uh, punctuate properly <laughs> or use grammar correctly. So um, uh, uh, that's the only caveat to, to linking to it. But um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, <clears throat> it's also 10 years old. I can't believe how a decade has gone by. But um, again, when I talk about them or my folks, you know, my, 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 my parents came from nothing. You know, my mother grew up in a terraced house in Newton Arts. Um, and her mum and dad had they, they did not have the proverbial pot to piss in. My granddad came over from my grandparents. On my dad's side met during the Second World War. He was Cockney. He's from 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 East London, and my grandmother was a Wren. And then then they relocated, and um, they lived in a prefab house, you know, for the first few years. So my old man did okay. You know, he left school when he was fourteen. He's a civil engineer and built roads, as he pointed out as we were driving back to the airport the other day. I went, oh, my kids were in the back and went, Granddad built this road, Granddad built that one, and the kids in the back went, we really don't give a shit. But, um, uh, well, but yeah, no, he, he, you know, he did okay, and he and he loved cars, so I think I owe him owe him a, a bit of a debt on that front as well. Well, look, well, look he, built, he built roads and then enjoyed them. Or I'm going to take total advantage of the fact you're you're being so generous with the, with your time and guys i just hope it hope you can use it and that's of any interest, oh you know? I, 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 the other I, thing i would say honestly you know i'm i i'm, I'm not one for dis- dispensing advice <clears throat> but i know that what i do a lot of people go my god what an amazing job he just flies around the world and drives fast cars you know the, the writing does follow and the writing does require a degree of rigor and 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 you know expertise and and skill and all the rest of it 
But what I would definitely say is when I was 10 years old, I used to make my own car magazines and I would just draw cars and staple things together. And I never thought in a million years I would end up actually doing it for a career. And, you know, to drive things, to meet racing drivers, to meet senior figures in the car industry, to meet car designers. You know, it just just last month I met Marcello Gandini, who, you know, designed the Lamborghini Miura, designed the Countach design all sorts of amazing concept cars and I, I was at his house and he's 80 82 83 years old now and I'm he, he, you know the little kid in me is still very much present so you know it, you can do it you know it can be done for sure so if there's anyone young or bored of their job and wants to treat wants to change you know if you really care enough okay you have to you have to have a certain level of ability for sure but you can do it you know well, I don't want to be like X Factor style tosser here, you know, but <laughs> and that's and I think we'll come back to this because there's a few specific things I want I want to talk to you about, but even the disruption in media that we were talking about earlier on that yep. that uh, even the way the uh, the TV shows have changed and like take Johnny Smith for example, yeah, you, you know Johnny and Very was in well. fifth gear and I don't I don't know if fifth gear is still going, but. Uh, yeah. It, it almost feels like, and he's doing a fantastic job, and I and I love Johnny Moore for it with with his late break, break show. But yeah. it almost feels like he's had to start from zero again, and and he comes from the Max Power and the old journalism days and all the rest, and he's yeah. really embraced this new way to do things. But you can yeah. see uh, from the outside looking in, it looks like he has had to do an immense amount of work. Yeah, to get there. Yep, uh, Johnny is. Um, He's a wonderful, I am going to sound like a gushy kind of showbiz tosser now. He's a wonderful, beautiful human being. He makes me laugh like a few other people. He's very funny. Um, I also made him redundant from Car Magazine. <laughs> 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 right. And he doesn't hold it against me. Now, it was it was almost another tr- trite, cliched thing, but it probably was the best thing that ever happened to him because it kind of... Uh, spurred him on a little bit i think and but yeah with a youtube thing yeah you're absolutely right I, I know i've spoken to him about it it is unbelievably hard work um but i think he he's he he has a wonderful worldview um he is a genuinely unique individual there's no one like him uh he's weird <laughs> in the most fabulous way um and you know i think either the youtube thing will really start to work for him um although the economics of that are precarious you know and i know i know mr jww quite well he's probably the best known automotive youtuber and is it seen through glass as well um they and and um and shmi as well yeah who whose stuff i don't watch um but it's not for me but what i would say is they work phenomenally hard you know it it's the rewards are there for the guys that really crack it and make it I think there's an enormous amount of absolute drivel out there. Oh, um, unbelievable. You know, every Tom, Dick and Harry thinks they can be a TV presenter now or, you know, and what worries me more is that I look at some of this stuff and I'm like, Jesus, 78,000 people have watched this. How do they do it? You know, I what I don't understand, I haven't cracked social media. I don't have a lot of Twitter followers or, you know, but people kind of go, oh, we, we'll help you with that. There's, you're not doing it right. You need it. And I'm like, oh, just leave me alone to write my books and stuff, you know? But the problem is that the, the the world now and the the world I'm engaged with, um, they look at that stuff. That's how you're valued now. You know, you're not. It's not like, oh, he wrote a great story in GQ ten years ago, or he's written a great Bond book. It's how many people follow him on Instagram. 
And I get there's that. an awful lot of there's a lot of prep, as you say, you don't really see. Um, like my son follows a guy on YouTube, an American guy, and he does all these wacky stunts, crazy stunts, and sometimes it just looks like you know he's filled his house with balls and dived off his kitchen in the massive ball pit. And yep. then um, I went on his website one day and put up a schedule, and it is literally eight in the morning to midnight. He is prepping, recording, editing, doing yep. it, getting ready for the next day. He's doing the six days a week, and yeah, the hours they put on are insane. It's it's true, and um, <clears throat> you know some some of them got some flack recently because I think they were complaining about burnout, and yeah, a lot of people were kind of going, oh, "Come on, you're just a YouTuber. How can you you know burnout? You know, it's not like you're working down a coal mine or anything, you know." But I do have some sympathy because um, they do work incredibly hard. I still think an awful lot of it is unmitigated shite, but um, you know, even the ones who produce shite are working very hard to do it. And- uh, look, look, I I totally 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 agree with you, and and I love the fact. Jason, you're part of the, the motoring journalism world that I love. You know, like yeah. like Richard Porter and Dickie Maiden and Jethro and and all the Evo guys that I would read, and yourself yeah. and Chris Harris and uh, and the Top Gear stuff, and like that's that's right up my street. And there's and there's and Dan Prosser and uh, uh, what's going on with the intercooler and all that sort of stuff really yeah. speaks to guys like us. So so that there is still value there for that type of long form. Opinion pieces and and not just this sort of yeah five minutes on on YouTube. Now I say that if you want something to watch, Johnny interviews Shmi. Yeah, Shmi is a totally different guy in the interview with Johnny. It was a real eye opener. So was it? Mm, interesting. Yeah, he he was uh, because and he's quite uh, straight up with Johnny saying, "Well, look, Shmi is a character I play for YouTube, yeah. and I what and I you know." Uh, nurture that very carefully to get the right number of views and the right types of videos and stuff like that. And that was fascinating. It was like watching a different guy, a mm. friend, you know, intelligent. It was a businessman we were talking to or hearing from rather than the, hi, I'm Shmi, <laughs> which, which you just want to go, close the window. <laughs> exactly. Punch my computer screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I've met him a fair few times. I don't know him very well, but, uh, but yeah, it's interesting you say he's a businessman and he's built a phenomenal brand. Unbelievable. And uh, you know a lot of the old the old guard. Uh, the last thing you want to be is someone who kind of goes, "Oh God, it was so much better in my day." And how dare he come along? It's like, yeah, you know what? You know they're working hard. They're working the numbers. What what I what I kind of you know they're. I don't know. I, I can't really say this without it sounding like I'm pointing the finger at him. But you know there are people who buy followers and engineer things and work the algorithms and and a lot of well, it he he de- he was quite upfront that he works the algorithm yeah. and and uh, you know and that's personally that's that's not for me but but i sort of thought well he's been upfront about it at the same time yeah. you know but uh but yeah so that's a whole i don't know it's a whole s- strange area I, I don't follow a lot of content i'm very p- picky about the type of content that i would uh follow on youtube and that's where where someone like johnny or carfection so henry Catspole and, and those guys there that, yeah yeah, yeah. Henry's very thoughtful. Um, yeah, and he's 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 carved out quite a quite a good little niche for himself. And I suppose, you know, because I did loads of TV and I've got no problem standing in front of a camera and and and, and there's certain things I'm I'm better at doing. I think I love talking to people, I like interacting with people, so maybe I need to work on that a little bit. Yeah, a lot of people have said to me, you know, you've got to do it, and it might be that I have no choice but to do it at some point. Um uh, and just get on with it, really. I mean, um, Harry Metcalf is another great example. You know, he's you know the founder of Evo, as you know, and Harry's Garage is doing great guns, and yeah. the production values aren't wonderful, and he's not particularly polished. But 
but people like him, you know? Um, and he has his own audience. My, my father's actually 70. He can't operate a computer or anything else, but my brother set him up a fire stick and how to get onto YouTube, and he watches Harry's Garage. It's about the only thing he, he knows about. <clears throat> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, um, but he loves it. Yeah. But, so, but yeah. I, I want to read, Jason. I want to read guys Good. like yourself, so don't, so don't worry. I'm planning to stop, don't you worry. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I, I, I think if, uh, if everyone who's writing for the good mags and, and giving the opinion piece, they, they all turn around and start doing YouTube. That'll be a sad day at the same time because that that skill, you know what, you, you can't just produce that in five minutes. That's something that you have, you've built over and, and all your uh, cohorts have built over 10, 20, 30 years. And that's what we, we yeah. want to read because, because I understand, well, yeah. what was the Sierra like in 1994 yeah. compared to the, well, you can't have them in Deo because we talked about that. So the uh, focus of today. Yeah. No, no. Well, f- thank you. I mean, it's very gratifying to to know that there are still people out there who do value the, 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 the craft of it, I suppose, and don't just want a kind of cheap, you know, cheap shot, quick, far opinion. I mean, look, there's room for everything. That's, that's what I hear quite a lot when I talk to people, you know, and you kind of go, oh, you know, <clears throat> look, to give you a little, the mechanics of how the business works, um okay most recently lamborghini launched the Huracan sto at valley lunga the circuit outside rome um now look it's difficult at the moment because it's, it's a bit more challenging traveling because of covid but the way it works is there'll be there'll be maybe 10 spaces for uk media you know 10 for american media whatever um or or as i said to you on the phone the valkyries coming up the amg1 yeah what will happen is and I could I could tell you the names. I'm not going to, but you know, the, 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 there'll be people you're familiar with because you've mentioned a few of them already. We'll start lobbying the PRs and going, well, I you know I write for this magazine or that media, and and then but then if you're the PR and you're going, well, who do I, who do I want? I, I want if it's a high end high performance car, you want the credibility of a major outlet like Top Gear or Evo or whatever, whoever it might be, somewhere something along those lines, you know. Um, so it establishes the credentials of the car with an audience like you guys. And then, and then they'll go, right. Well, oh my God, look, so-and-so's got 855,000 followers on Instagram. Mm. We need, we can't ignore that either, but we've only got room for five people. You know, whenever people do eventually get in the Valkyrie or the AMG one, it's going to be a massive bun fight. And most people are going to be disappointed and pissed off. Um, Cause not everybody is going to get into those cars. You know, I've been there loads of times, you know, when the Bugatti Veyron was launched, I was the editor of Car Magazine. So I pulled rank and the invite came in, addressed me as editor of Car. And I went, I'm going on this one. Um, You know, all all of this stuff, you have to work the angles a little bit. Um, um, But yeah, it's competitive and, and, and you do have to, you know, and things have changed and the old kind of orthodoxies have been upset and you can't just assume that, you know, there are some journalists who walk around with their chests puffed out and they're like, you know, it's not quite, don't you know who I am mm-hmm. sort of thing. Ultimately, it boils down to who you work for. And GQ is a good one for me because everybody wants, they all go, yeah, well, we can get into all the car mags, but there are lifestyle media is much harder to access. And well, we know Jason and he writes for GQ. So if he does it for Top Gear, he can do it for GQ. And that's often how it works. Exactly. Do you know what? It's it's just occurred to me something that I never actually thought I would get to ask someone from Top Gear magazine this question. But Top Gear, so enormous television show, 
uh, worldwide with the Clarkson Hamlin and May and, and all the rest. But <clears throat> the TV shows on one side, but then you have the magazine. But the magazine has become a proper petrol heads. It, it is up there with Evo in the quality of writing and reviews and all that. It's not generalist like the show has become. If that, mm-hmm. does that, am, I make, am I making any sense? Like the show's mainstream, BBC One, whereas the magazine is is Petrolhead, which I sort of, which is great, by the way. It's absolutely fantastic, but it's mm. it's it's not like Auto Express or, uh, you know, the Sunday Times motoring. It is it is more catered to the evil performance car, someone who actually likes cars. Yeah, well, that's an interesting observation. I mean, Top Gear has gone through a few iterations since it launched in November 1993. And the big question has always been how close to the television series should, should it get? Um, you know, and Clark putting Clarkson on the cover for a lot of the time guaranteed an uplift in sales because people like him, and if they don't like him, they like to be wound up by him. That's part of the genius of Jeremy. Um, but yeah, there was a period in time when it was much more like What Car magazine, and indeed, before Michael Harvey became editor in two thousand and three, as I mentioned earlier, it had it had become a bit like that, mm-hmm. and. It didn't really know what it was. And magazines are fascinating. You know, Loaded and Max Power are great examples of that lovely thing that happens quite rarely where, you know, there's sort of lightning in a bottle, really, and you, you there's an audience out there. Um, they didn't know this this was what they wanted, but it's there suddenly, and it's like, oh, this these people are talking to me. Um, when you feel like you belong to a club like that, I love that about magazines. It probably doesn't happen very much these days because it's a uh, – a medium that's kind of 20th century. I don't know where that, whether that sense of community comes from things like what we're doing right now or a podcast or something, you know, or you watch Johnny Smith and Richard Porter and you feel like there's, there's a DJ on BBC six music called Sean Keaveney. Who's a friend, uh, become a good friend. I adore Sean, you know, um, he's my favorite DJ ever. And he's leaving six music, unfortunately for reasons we won't go into, but um you know, we all know what it's like whenever you find someone who is talking your language or talking to you. And and the challenge on Top Gear right now, I think, is and it always has been, is kind of how do we what 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 tone do we strike? What note do we strike? Do we always put supercars in the cover because they tend to sell more? Um at the moment, the current editor, Jack Ricks, he's a very cool, smart guy. You know, he's very into EVs. We know that's the way that that's the way things are going. Um but he also knows that his audience, people like you guys who want to be entertained, they want to read about the, I don't know what, what actually what's on the cover of the new issue. It'll either be my cover story on the new Kuntach or it'll be Ollie Marriage driving the singer, DLS. I watched I watched Ollie's video of driving the singer. Very, it's, it? it's unreal. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think what you mentioned there is a good example of the, the whole fundamental thing that we we're discussing there, of, you know, of YouTube versus magazines and so on, that there's something for everyone. Because you don't tend to have the same attention span when you're watching YouTube. I could last maybe half an hour, one hour of YouTube or a TV show, but when you're reading a magazine, I'll happily sit for two to three hours and delve deeper into it. So I, they give you that more more of a an insight, more of a context. I tell you personally, the biggest struggle I have is switching. So mm-hmm. switching from watching something on my phone or being on the iPad or something like to say, right, I'm now I want to read. And yeah. that I, that's always a battle and it's like, it, I don't know. It's it's almost like uh, this is a really bad comparison. Actually, like exercise. Once once you do it, you feel better. <laughs> yeah. No, no. That's a, quite an interesting analogy. You're right. 
Um, hopefully, you know, sitting down to read a 3,000 word story, God knows, Ian Tucker doesn't run them that long anymore. But um, yeah, maybe it's, it's, it is. It's like sometimes you just don't feel like going to the gym, but when you do, you feel so much better. You know, the, the endorphins are rushing and, you know, you've done something that's good. Um, maybe, maybe reading a long form story kind of stimulates part of your brain and your synapses that, um, you know, YouTube and all the rest of it just doesn't. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I think Mac it's the, a decent steak or something, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's maybe just a constant stream of, or like a news feed or something like that, which, you know, I really try and stay like, I think we've all talked about this. You know, I use social media to promote articles we put on, uh, the RMS website or promote this podcast or something like that. But I try and stay away from news feeds because it just becomes a, this constant stream of drivel. And, you know, we know how it works. You know, we know, we know Facebook, you know, Zuckerberg was up in a select hearing or something in Washington recently. You know, we know they've figured out either they're just cleaning us out for our data or, or their algorithms are set up to set conflict, you know, mm-hmm. and it's about, that's where the energy and the and the numbers are in that in in that world, and it promotes this. I look. All I know is if I when I come down to sit in my office in the morning, and I go, oh, I'll just have a flick through Twitter or I'll go through Instagram. Yeah, I guarantee you, it is never an elevating experience. It's always depressing. Yeah. You know, it's it. There's that initial dopamine hit of oh, oh, or that's quite funny, or you know, Richard Porter or Sniff Petrol might have put something funny or whatever. There's those little kind of moments, but for the most part. I think my son calls it the doom scroll or something where you just, <laughs> <laughs> and you do, and you're sort of transfixed or slightly hypnotized by it. And, oh God, or it's on Instagram, some, you know, the curated existence is on there, you know, people who are, oh, wow, oh, they're on a nice yacht or, oh, someone's actually managed to get out of the country and go to Ibiza. Oh, brilliant. That's really, I'm really pleased that they're having a lovely, t- no, you know, it's not good. It's not good for your mental health. It, it just I think around the, the time of the American election, I went on there and I unfollowed about, I'd say, a quarter of all the accounts I followed just because so much was discord and negative and everything yes. else. Yeah. Well, we really, saw, it really flushes it out and cleans it up. Yeah. Well, that's probably a very sensible thing to do, you know. But I think, yeah. you know, a, a serious point, you know, we saw, I think Donald Trump, you know, he used he used it. He, he, he weaponized Twitter, didn't he? And, um, and the, and the net result was what happened in the Capitol and Capitol Hill. Oh, that was, January, just... you know, where that shower of imbeciles turned up and unbelievable, uh, uh, unbelievable. But I think, I think a good example of what happens and, and, and the result. I, yeah. And look, there are many wonderful things about, about social media, but I think I, I, I sadly, I think they're outweighed by the many terrible things. Look, look, too many dicks. Too yeah, many. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You haven't spoken for half an hour, but every time you say there are a lot I'm, of uh, out there. I'm, I'm absolutely engrossed here. I really am. You're just, you're I'm just enjoying this. Sur- <laughs> surrounded by uh, like penis everywhere. Craig and just every... all these all these M <laughs> all these M three drivers are just uh... surrounded by trainers. <laughs> trainers. Even even about... at our even our last recording, Craig, there was one. Remember? Was there? Remember the phallus? Oh God, yes. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, so was, uh, so our last recording yeah. we actually we were all we were all in person and it was uh, actually we didn't realise until we arrived in it was the same studio that uh, local local comedian Colin Geddes he records his podcast and it's one of the biggest podcasts in Northern Ireland. But he uh, but he has loads of well, yeah, he has one anyway. Props. Huge Props. plastic cock, which was just <laughs> yeah. Just just sitting there. <laughs> just just casually stuck onto it. Unashamedly just sitting there being yep, doing that, Thing. Uh, yes, yes, stuck to the top of a filing cabinet. <laughs> right. 
And yeah. never since then, Craig's been saying dicks everywhere as much as he can. Anyway, <laughs> I, I digest. Uh, so, uh, look, I, I'm going to blow smoke a bit here, but I, this, uh, when, I, when I opened your book last night and, and I looked at the cover and it was the inside cover and it was like, oh, that, that's golden eye. And then I sort of thought, why the hell have I taken so long to open this bloody book? And it's like, I, I, knew, I knew I was talking to you today, yet I, I was on the doom scroll for about three quarters of an hour before. I couldn't tell you one thing that I looked at on the doom scroll. Just anyway. So uh, one more thing I want to ask, or several things. Alec, Alec Baldwin. So you, oh, yeah. so yeah. You, you interviewed Alec Baldwin. Um, Around the DeLorean film. Yeah, well, well, yeah. So, well, first of all, my my knowledge of Alec Baldwin, like Hunt for Red October, what a film, yeah. and uh, Thirty Rock, and uh, his brother parking his car for him. Do you remember? Do you remember that that he, he had a whole he had a whole tirade with was it parking place in in New York over his brother parking his car on I don't know if the double yellow lines and all the rest. I remember, so, he, he has an old seven series, uh, like a late a late eight. Late ninety seven series. Anyway, I can't he, remember. But I remember he, oh, I he, he has. He seems to have a bit. He, he seems to have a bit of a prickly uh, demeanor. But I was a bit nervous about interviewing him. To be honest, um, I think it was a phone interview um, because it was before the Zoom tyranny of Zoom and all that stuff. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. This is great. No, I mean, look, I think we've all got the hang of it, apart from earlier on when your computer shot itself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, the old the phoner is a traditional, you know, that that I've done hundreds and hundreds of those over the years. And um, yeah, it's a bit tricky. You know, there's Alec Baldwin. And yes, it's fair to say his, his, he has a reputation in, in Hollywood for sure. But he was as good as gold. You know, he, he, he really was. And I, I, I'm a bit obsessed with the DeLorean story. Um, there's been a couple of good documentaries about DeLorean. There's one on Netflix at the moment, I think. Um, the Alec Baldwin thing was weird because it was kind of meta where... He, pl- I don't know if you've seen it, but he he played Delorean, but so they they dramatized l- little chunks of his life, but there's other bits where it's Baldwin sitting in the makeup chair and he's having his hair done grey like John's hair was, and mm-hmm. the makeup lady, and he's and I'm thinking this is just plain weird, but um, yeah, no, it was it was you know it's always fun to talk to people like that. Um, I'm trying to remember if I asked him any curveballs. I think we talked because he, yeah, famously was he did a brilliant Trump impression, didn't he? So uh, we talked about Donald Trump, and um, that 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 mopped up about at least fifty percent of the. Of the <laughs> oh, he, he did Saturday Night Live, didn't he? He, he did, yeah. Donald 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 did yeah. He did. And well, it, obviously, it, obviously, both of them, Trump and Alec Baldwin, but I, I presume Alec Baldwin was yeah. on the was on the uh, on the cast for several years there as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew nothing of him apart from his movies, and then I watched him in the uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the uh, comedians and cars getting coffee. Oh yeah, and I couldn't believe that. how well he came across. He was really funny and engaging and cheerful, and not kind of this grumpy guy that I'd read about. Yeah, well, it's 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 a, it's an interesting point, isn't it? I mean, I, again, you know, I've interviewed a lot of a lot a lot of well known people over the years, which I love. I love doing. And I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I was thinking, you know, people often go. Well, you know who's the best person of the cool? Quincy Jones is probably my favorite, my favorite interview subject. He was just awesome. Um, and then you go, well, who was an absolute asshole? And that's more interesting. And actually, not that many people. Most people I've interviewed of, of, or, or or have met, I'm glad to say, weren't total dicks. Um, Excellent. <laughs> um, but uh, you probably want to know. Um, I met Eddie Irvine. Um, 
Eddie's a tricky character. And his, his reputation precedes him. Yeah, Eddie just doesn't give a fuck. And um, when I met Eddie, when I was working at Loaded, actually, and uh, he was in Cafe Keel and Bangor, and he's still racing for Ferrari at the time. And it was Christmas Eve, I think, and I'd come back home, and it was only 25. And um, anyway, I said, Eddie, I work for Loaded Magazine. We'd, it'd be great to do an interview with you. And he was like, mm, yeah, whatever. And then, um, yeah, 1996 it was. And then I went to the Brazilian Grand Prix um, for a big loaded feature. Yeah, that was that was a week. Jesus, can you imagine there were five of us in South, in, in yeah, in Sao Paulo for a couple of days, and then we went to Rio. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can barely remember what went on, but I, 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 I bumped into him in the in the after the race. Um, it had a really bad race because the straps in his seat had been. Um, causing his gentleman's area severe discomfort. So I think his testing was wrong far when I spoke to him afterwards. And I said, I bumped into you in Cafe Keel a couple of months ago. And he went, oh, fuck, I remember you. He said, next time you see me, don't be a star fucker, okay? And I was like, whoa. And the irony was, two years later, I interviewed him for Loaded Magazine um, (laughs) as a freelance, because by that point I'd left. But I went, yeah. Uh, And then I've met him a few times since. And I know his sister, Sonia, quite well, and she's fabulous. And Eddie's okay, and I did I did the um, the Kelly show. Remember Jerry Kelly? Oh yeah. Time? So years when I was doing Driven, I think I was a guest on that. And Jerry asked me about Eddie, and I think I was a little bit critical of him on air. And um, and then about a year or two years later, I was somewhere, and um, Eddie's Eddie's mum and dad were there, who were both absolutely lovely. And his dad said, "Oh, here." You were slagging my boy off in the telly. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to grind eat me up at this point. I think Eddie, Eddie, look, you know, he's a good looking dude. Uh, he was racing for Ferrari. <clears throat> um, you can imagine. Yeah, he enjoyed himself. And I, 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 I still don't know him that well, but he's, I'd, he's a lot less of an asshole than he was back then, I would say. And if you hear this, Eddie, I'm sorry, but I'm sure you couldn't give less of a shit anyway. I think, to be honest, he'd agree because uh, coming from Bangor, everyone knew Eddie Irvine was a dick. And <laughs> when he was when he was dead famous, he was a bit of a wanker. <laughs> I was just, I'd be a bit of a wanker too if I was driving for Ferrari. But, and I follow him on Instagram now, and he seems like he's like he's, he's mellowed a fair bit, and he's in his houses, and he's on his wee island, and. It seems yeah. to be flip flip flops and coffees and sitting out and waiting yeah, for the yeah. the guy to hose the garden down and that sort of stuff, isn't it? And he, and he, I think he isn't the Kuntash, um, the Kuntash and the Cater and Seven and the Porsche Nine Eleven are all in that lovely modernist house yeah, in, in the box in the Arch Peninsula somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I message them. Um, he, he has, he keeps an Aston Martin signet of all things in Milan because he still has an apartment there. And he and he put a picture of that up, and I got a lot of shit when I reviewed that car for Top Gear. I was actually quite nice about it, and I went, "I think they might be onto something." Everybody else, the publishing director of Top Gear, messaged me and said, I, "I'm on the verge of firing you for the review of the Signet." I, I was going to think. I think we could end the call now, could we? Say <laughs> <laughs> that. I tell you what, if you Google um, prices of the Signet, I think they're probably in the low to mid thirties now. So they're 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 about the same as the, as the Vantage was at the time, but. Um, but yeah, no message. Eddie and he replied. He went, "Best car I've ever owned." And that was his. That was his reply on Instagram. And I thought, yeah, he really had lost the plot, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, he's 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 all right. But uh, Nicky Lauda was a tough tough character. I interviewed him in two thousand and one when he briefly was the team principal of Jaguar Formula One team, and 
yeah, he 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 didn't want to be there for sure. And I remember Paul Weller actually. I interviewed Paul Weller, awesome. and that was quite that was quite tricky. He he's not a man who enjoys being interviewed very much either. I suppose a lot of the time it's quite unnatural, or some of the time the way these an interviews are set up. You know, if 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 you're one of ten interviewers interviewing someone about a film, a new album, a new car, and and they're having to, and the the person being interviewed has to go through the go through the motions over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, there's some truth in that. I've done a, I've done a lot of movie junkets as well, um, so uh, I could I could drag this down off the shelf. Actually, hang on. <clears throat> so that that is. Uh, can you see that? I don't, is it back? We yet? can indeed. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, that that's um, that's signed by Quentin Tarantino. So that this this is Brilliant. Reservoir Dogs, and is that production yep. notes or something you know, like that? It's the original script. The original um, script signed by Tarantino. <laughs> Yep, but this these are, the these are the production notes. I'm sure you guys have all watched Le Mans '66. Yes, Ford yeah. versus Ferrari. If if uh, for the for the for the American listeners, absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I went to Paris and did a junket of that, and I was the only. So that's uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale and the director whose name escapes me, Joe Mangold. I think Joe was it Joe Mangold? Yeah, who's shooting the new? He's what's he shooting at the moment? He's in the middle of filming the new Indiana Jones film, I think. Um, so I, I, I didn't necessarily, I mean, I, I said we were doing it for Top Gear. Um, I had to go to, usually it's in a London hotel, but for some reason I had to go to Paris for this one. That was all right on a Sunday. And you turn up and um, it's a bit like, uh, have you seen Notting Hill where Hugh Grant pretends to be the journalist from Horse and Hound magazine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only, except that that is a film and very rarely do journalists end up getting off with film stars like they do, like he did in Notting Hill. Although Hugh, I know Hugh, I've met Hugh a few times. He's a very funny guy. His daily driver is a Ferrari F12 TDF. Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, he's apparently he's done about 30,000 miles in that thing. He's a brave man. Um, but anyway, so I got to, I got, um, yeah, 25 minutes with Matt Damon and uh, Christian Bale. And, um, you know, Christian Bale's a guy with a bit of a reputation, you know, that footage of him losing his shit. On the, Very serious um, guy. Yep. Um, absolutely lovely. It was good at the pair of them. You know, you walk in, I mean, can you imagine what it feels like to walk in a room? And there's Matt Damon, who's probably the most bankable film star in the world, and Christian Bale, and they're sitting on a sofa, and they both get up and go, "Hey, Jason, nice to meet you." And you're just like, "Oh my god, this is unreal!" <laughs> no, and you stand there and try and be all cool about it, you know. Um, and um, yeah, it's your job, I think, to you just got to try and those things are weird because most junkets. I mean, I was I was the only journalist who had one on one on one time with it. N- nobody else got them together. And, mm-hmm. Usually you just you have, you walk in a room and there's the backdrop. You've seen it on Good Morning Britain or whatever you know the name of the film behind, and um, they're basically just designed to grab sound bites, really. Um, sure. You know, I did I, I interviewed Michael Caine um, when Cars Two came out, um, which was incredible because it's Michael fucking Caine, and yeah, and also you know I'm thinking I'm obviously obviously going to have to get him to do that. You're only blow your bloody but. I can't. I've got to wait until the end of my ten minute allotted time, um, and then and then um, and I go. Like it was. First of all, it's a great honour to meet you. You know, uh, whatever. Um, and we're chatting. I said, so you know, voicing an animated film, and he went, well, you know, a few a few years ago or earlier on in my career, I played a spy called Harry Palmer, and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, I've seen the Chris <laughs> File and yeah, all yeah, the other, yeah, yeah. You know, great films. 
so I thought, well, and also my kids, you know, my grandkids, they love animated films. And I thought there was a bit of Harriet. And, um, and then, and then he, and he wandered on. He said, and also, you know, and, and you know, you went, you top gear from, and I went, yeah. yeah. And he said, yeah, yeah, no, I did a little film in 1969 called the Italian job. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and, then he, and, then he, and he just starts doing the line and he goes, yeah. And there's this great line in the film. We are only supposed to blow the bloody. And I just sat there and I went, well, I, well, that's what I say. Did, did anyone see that? <laughs> <laughs> One of those ones, wasn't it? <laughs> not at the end. But weirdly, I have I have the soundtrack for for the film on CD. I mean, I've got an original vinyl copy over there, but um, I I brought it with me to LA when I interviewed Quincy Jones, which, by the way, was ten years ago. That wasn't last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so my 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 soundtrack of the Italian job is signed by Quincy Jones, and I brought the inlay with me when I did Michael Caine, and I went would you mind signing this for me? And I said, you, you might notice it's already been signed by someone. And I went, that's Quincy Jones. And he was like, oh, yeah, we had a lot of fun together, me and Quincy. I'm thinking, I bet you did. In, you know, <laughs> in London in 1969, Quincy Jones and Michael Caine together in London for six months. Um, but yeah, my copy, you know, and that's one of the things I treasure most, to have a that soundtrack signed by Quincy Jones and Michael Caine, you know, what, wonderful. Awesome. On, on, uh, incredible. Well, uh, one thing you haven't mentioned, Jason, on your your movie, so Cars and uh, Cars and Films, Le Mans '66, fair enough. But but what about the one that that uh, your words, an ocean going study of cinematic vapidity? Well, that, well, the Fast and the Furious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't like that film so much. What do you think of the of of the series? Like, how, how has it got to the the heights? I don't think anybody, I strongly suspect that nobody involved in that series of films could answer that question either. I think I think they're all flabbergasted. I mean, isn't it the highest grossing film franchise of all time? Yeah, I mean, six billion to date. How many? Six, sorry, six billion dollars to date. Billion, billion, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that it, it beggars belief. I mean, look, I, I I've watched some of, when they pop up on the Sky Movie Channel or something. I might dip in for half an hour. Quite, I have a soft spot for Tokyo Drift because I love the Japanese thing. Oh, seeing uh, the one I reviewed in GQ sent me to review. I can't remember which one it was. Number nine, eight or nine. Can't remember what stupid name it had. I, they, I, they all they all merge into much of a muchness. They do, uh, but I thought that was a partic- even by the not lofty standards of Fast and the Furious. I thought it was particularly bad. <clears throat> um, weirdly, Richard Porter, um, for The Road Rat, he watched all, all of the films, apart from the most recent one, because it hadn't come out at the time. But he did a kind of Fast and the Furious film marathon, um, which is a bit like that guy that just lived on McDonald's for six months. Like, <laughs> Morgan uh, Spurlock, supersize well, me. Supersize <laughs> me. <laughs> He did super stupid me, did he? Oh, nine, super fast nine in me. a row. But, but even more disturbingly, I don't know whether it sort of warped his brain somehow, but he, he said, actually, they're not bad films. You know, I'm like, nah. No, 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 no. You, you, can you imagine? You think he's sitting there like Malcolm McDowell out of uh, Clockwork Orange with oh, the, yeah, the eyeballs being held open? Yeah, something like that. No, they're, they're, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I, I, the other thing maybe I, I could direct you to, because you, you might enjoy it, was... Uh, an early sort of lockdown thing I did was was all the best car chases, um, movie car chases uh, for GQ Online. Um, so we did, yeah, I did the 60s. There was so many in the 70s, we split it into two, and then the 80s, the 90s, and the 90s, and so on. Um, and I loved writing that because yeah. it combines two passions. Um, that That's worth a book. There's bound to be a book in there, is there? Oh, I think yeah. so. Um, 
but but the thing that I find is, um, you know, this is where YouTube is a phenomenal resource because you can find everything. Yeah, you know, there yeah. are weird Italian films from the mid seventies that no one's ever heard of that has the most insanely good car chase in it. Um, so if you if you do happen to find it, you know, and we've embedded the content on there as well. I think there's a 1971 film called Le Casse, which is Le, the Cash, I think. And I think Paul Belmondo, who's a you know celebrated French actor from the period, he's the driver in it, and it's it's filmed in Paris and Greece, mm-hmm. and it's 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 crazy. It's so good, so good. So I don't want you to think that I'm a sniffy. You know, I've got a lot of foreign films, and you know, I like you know serious movies, but I'm more than happy to sit down and waste a couple of hours watching some trashy film with a great car chase in it. Oh, I, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I generally will will forgive the rest of the film if if yeah. the car chase is is up to snuff. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, having been on set for a few, I watched them shoot some of the sequences in the new Bond film. Wow, <clears throat> you know, and I, and and um, I know a few a few of the the you know you mentioned Mark Higgins and. There's a guy called Mauro Callo who was one of the was one of the regular drivers on Top Gear. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very gifted drivers. But the thing that Mark, well, I was talking to him on on the set, you know, and, and talking to the the lead stunt coordinator in the Bond film, and <clears throat> what they need, you know, the the it's it's about making what they do part of the narrative, but also in a more practical sense, making the car sideways at that precise moment you know where so it's all in focus and he For doesn't the shot the frame and yeah. you know so what those guys do so you know i i know a few people who work in the film industry and it always fascinates me how um so many clever people and a hundred million dollars and a, a bad film can be made you know the effort that goes into it um is staggering so i have nothing but respect for even the people, maybe not the person who wrote the script for the Fast and the Furious film that I reviewed because it was absolute garbage. <laughs> but, <laughs> and the CGI is a bit, a bit rubbish in that film as well. But you know, I, I take my hat off to the filmmakers because it's 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 a form of, a, a form of expression I love, and you know, it's it's hard work. And when it comes to those car scenes, it's it's all about precision, really. And I think it's um, the older ones certainly had something about them using real cars, real. Yep. Real stunt drivers, no CGI. It just sells yeah, it so much more. For sure. And, and and actually sometimes not that much precision, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about the, the chase in GoldenEye involving Xenia on a top in the 355. Um, the, the the guy that was involved, in, who, who who did it, was the great Remy Julien, who pops up and... He did the Renault 11 and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He passed away last year, so I wrote the obit, obituary on him for Top Gear. Um, it's actually his son, Dominique, who is the guy driving the three five five sideways, and he had a black wig yeah. on because he had he had to double for for uh, for for Famke Jansen. Um, so this hairy Frenchman pretending to be a <laughs> lovely Danish actress. I think she's Danish. Um, but yeah, um, and 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 so yeah, I did a bit of research in Remy Julian, and um, yeah, he's he's a, he's a maestro, you know, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Just of course, he did all the, the the driving in the Italian job as well. Um, some of which is insanely good insanely good yeah brilliant one of our earlier podcasts we were talking about um was it uh car ads car, uh, tv advertisements for cars that were really good and one of the ones that was brought up was the remember what ford brought the puma out and they did the, like a digital creation yeah. 
<coughs> were saying that they'd almost missed a beat because if they'd waited a bit longer, you know, when they brought it the new build Mustang, that would yeah. be a perfect thing to recreate using that new car. Yeah, <coughs> well, <coughs> sorry. Um, it's really, I, I, I met the guy who directed that. He's called Paul Street, Streeter, Street, Paul Street, a British guy, um, but he's been living in LA for about 25 years. Um, yeah, they, they just, they, they, um, the ad agency and that was Young and Rubicum. And the only reason I know this stuff is because the, the, the much less revered follow up ad, the, uh, not a great car, but the Ford Cougar, but they revisited the idea with Dennis Hopper um, mm-hmm. and did a pastiche of Easy Rider. And I was on the set and interviewed Dennis Hopper while they were, while they were filming it. Um, and I think, I mean, yeah, uh, Easy Rider. Uh, the, the, the Ford Cougar, affectionately known as the Freddy Krueger. I like the Cougar. Freddy Krueger. Um, the Freddy yeah. Krueger. No, no one liked the Cougar, the No one liked it. I no, but it's, I, it's I among <laughs> the Freddy Krueger. Uh, no, I'm glad that I didn't know that at the time I was writing the story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so yeah, um, the, 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 bullet, the, the Steve McQueen advert for the Puma is a masterpiece, yeah. The Dennis Hopper one was super clever. I mean, they had an on, on-set editing. And this was back in 1998 and going back a, w- a while here. Um, and it was equally very clever because they had Dennis Hopper driving the Freddy Krueger. Um, yeah. And he's driving along and there's him from Easy Rider from 30 years previously alongside. And he looks over and does that to himself, you know, and it's, you should Google it. I mean, it, and Born to, Born to Be Wild, the, the famous Steppenwolf song that's in the soundtrack. It's it's and, that, and, that, and now there's guys in their bedroom doing uh, deep fakes on YouTube, which look just as good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Did you see that the uh, just totally off topic? The the guy that did the uh, so the, the big reveal at the end of the Mandalorian was Luke Skywalker appearing, and then oh, someone... I haven't got to the end. You just ruined it for me. <laughs> Everyone knows. No. Sorry, I had a guess anyway. Anyway, I gave so, up on the Mandalorian. I, I was I was getting into it, and then I thought, oh, I'm not sure I'm be Season off. season one yeah. was a slow burn. They really picked it up me, in season two. I thought season two, two was fantastic. I had, to, I had to give up. It was just pissing along for too long, not really getting to the point. Uh, right, bored. You many decks? Not enough. Not saying very much in there. I am. I am a grumpy bastard. That's why they have me on here. I am really no, grumpy shit. No, no, no. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm really so, enjoying it. Yeah, um, uh, I hope I hope you're getting some. You can edit all this down to about half an hour, I suppose, can't you? All right, I'm going to leave ninety-five, ninety-nine percent of this. Uh, it's just the show notes are going to take me about three weeks to write. <laughs> it's just the inside of my brain is a you know there's a lot of competing crap going on in there, you know. And it's funny when you mention the 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 the, the Puma advert, you know, I yeah. I, I, the, how it came up, the, the thing I did, you know, it's just a good example. You know, the, there was a friend of mine who was a PR at Ford at the time, and we talked about how wonderful the advert was. And then about, well, a year later, maybe, that was late 97. Uh, when did we go out to California to do that? Summer of 98, maybe. Yeah. He said, well, do you, you, you know, so that's my dog, um, how much you love that Puma advert. Well, they're, they're going to do something similar with the Cougar. Um, and I think it's going to be easy rider. And, you know, do you want to come over? And and we did. Um, I did a big story for car. And yeah, again, that was, that was another one of those kind of, yeah. you know, I couldn't, I could just couldn't believe it. And um, yeah, Dennis and Dennis Hopper, you know, cause like blue velvet's one of my favorite films and he's an absolute, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Dave, great David Lynch film. Um, yeah. 
So I'm sitting in up halfway up a mountain in California interviewing Dennis Hopper, basically absolutely shitting myself, going this is starstruck. <laughs> absolutely, totally. And but he was lovely, you know? Lovely. Unbelievable. A proper movie legend. Yeah. And and a, and and you know, the absolute gold standard lunatic for a while. Yeah. You know? Absolutely lost it for most of the 1970s. You know, he was the man who claimed to be the the, the person responsible for introducing cocaine to America. You know? <laughs> you know? Single handedly to, to California, you know, and, and I think he did it. He, he, he did a fair bit of it himself for sure. So yeah. Anyway, anyway, there we go. Brilliant. Many anecdotes like that. Unbelievable. Well, look, Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I think it's totally unfair to take up any more of your time. It's been, I, I don't know what the rest of you think, guys, but I'm just We can put, finish up at 10 o'clock if you want. How about that? Finish up at 10 o'clock sounds, sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, 9.51 is no time to stop something like this. Is absolutely. It? I like it. I like it. We're all, we're all smiling here. I'm just keep, trying keep to think now the pressure's on you to come up with a question, isn't it? Oh, don't worry. Um, don't you, don't you worry. Got, what 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 is your what is your opinion on EVs like the Hyundai Ionic Five or the Kia EV Six? The sort of not Tesla ones, not massive money ones, sort not of Tesla ones. Forty um, five, forty five thousand. Those sort of. Yeah, not as much fun as an M three, but you've not been in one of those. <laughs> There's, more, there's a better chance I'm going to be in a Kia EV6 before I'm in an M3. <laughs> this is um, why he's grumpy. <laughs> no, they're, look, they're very good. Um, something's missing from the driving experience for me, no matter how how amazing they say they are. There's just always something missing. But I had a Peugeot E2008 for six months and a Mini Electric for six months prior to that. And if you drive nothing but an EV for a while and then you get back in a, con- a conventional car, it feels really strange. You know, really weird. Um, they're 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 great. You know, the high the Hyundai I had for a couple of days, and I expected to be my mind blown by that because I love the way it looks. Mm-hmm. It's big. When it turned up, I'm like, whoa! It's it's you know, like it's been scaled up a bit more. It's like a oh, this is a big car. It has uh, that incredible eighties aesthetic with the the sort of. Yep. dot matrix led lights at the back and all yeah. this sort of stuff the the design language and it is just so different it's like a it's like a tonka car yeah. A bit of that, yeah um and, and weirdly you know they they, they harped on about how it was an, a, a sort of nod back to the original hyundai pony i'm like yeah but that was a complete piece of crap i don't know why you'd want to reference it was designed by the, the by the great Giorgetto Giugiaro actually and, and i mean it was an important car so i understand that and actually it's not a bad looking car and it's also rear wheel drive back whenever mid-sized hatchbacks were rear drive. So you could slide it around a wet roundabout um, if you could get the horsepower up to do it. Um, no, the Ionic 5, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, maybe didn't didn't quite blow me away quite as much as I was expecting. I mean, the truth is the Model 3 is still just so good. You know, Tesla, they've, there's... It's been fascinating. I drove the first Model 3 at, when I went to Pebble Beach in 2018, I think. Uh, so, yeah, three, year, that was three years ago. Um, and I remember just being... Uh, um, I drove it. We had it. Charlie Turner, who's the editor-in-chief of Top Gear, until quite recently, he's just landed a big job at Ferrari. Um, he'd blagged one, and it was brand new. So we were very lucky to have a Model 3 at our disposal. And the same trip, we had uh, Roof, Roof Porsche, 
and they brought their i think the ctr whatever the latest ctr carbon fiber and, and i drove it and you know roof porsches are mega beautiful amazing things and again we were somewhere in northern california and it's like this is a dream and I, then i got back in the model three and thought Fuck, this is this is faster than that roof porsche and you know it's a bit more interesting in many ways um so yeah say what you like about elon musk you know he totally nailed it uh, especially with that one i think um and and i think main the mainstream car makers are still playing catch up and the cars i expected to overhaul the model three not quite done it not there yet like the, yeah. but the the hyundai's very good i find i find the ride quality it didn't it didn't i thought it would be a little a little more compliant i think they've gone a little too firm um and and again to go back to they're all very heavy i mean evs are heavy you know yeah. so you don't point them down a windy b road and expect them to entertain you in the way that an m3 would <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to take our word for that, Craig. He's not going to be able to verify that, is he? <laughs> no, no, um, no, no lies they're, are being told. They're very, very heavy. You know, I think that Ionic Five is two point one tons or something. You know, two tons is a lot of mass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and, it was on. Um, it was on the Guy Martin program there a couple of nights ago on Channel. Oh, 4. I missed that. Yeah, he was talking yeah. about electric cars, wasn't he? Yeah, the car he did the, his big journey on was an Ionic 5. Okay. And he, he, it turned out he used 80 pounds worth of electric more than he would have in diesel. And he, was <laughs> using, he was using the most expensive superchargers at the yeah. motorway with the cost in like 70p a kilowatt hour and you can charge them at your oh, house for yeah. 9p or something. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's another big issue. I mean, uh, all I can tell you is from the experience of having run two EVs for six uh, a year, uh, our, our electricity bill went through the roof. So, oh, my wife is just bringing me a hello. Got a beer. Well, oh, perfect. Good man. Enjoy. I, I gave up. I gave up alcohol two years ago. So <laughs> until tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing. My door. I'm willing. My door to open and a beer to appear. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> no, it's not my wife with a beer. Let me no, see. no. <laughs> Oh uh, no, no, she's she's lovely. She puts up with uh, puts up with um, Yeah, no, uh, they're very. I mean, uh, anybody who you know, there are there are a lot of people who are kind of totally on this EV mission. It's not it's not fully the answer. It really I, for me, I think it's and it's not just because I'm an unreconstructed petrol head. You know, I'm really not. Um, I can totally see the appeal, but I don't believe the government's path in banning. Uh, internal combustion from 2030 or whenever it is <clears throat> it's not the right answer you know there's still the i think for sure we should be encouraging people to go electric if they can um it uh, for example last week i was talking to my stepfather about it and he said i oh, i need to replace the he has a c-class and i went jimmy you've got to get an ev you don't do you 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 love it you know or maybe my mother could drive it but um they make a lot of sense in certain contexts, but they don't make a lot of sense in other contexts. Um, mm. You know, um, I I couldn't have it as an only car. Um, yeah, it just doesn't work. But, See, and you you need to have your internal combustion car to do the the big runs. Yeah, you know, and right there is a problem because you know um, we've all been, excuse me, and rightly so, praising the NHS workers. Well, if you're a, a, a nurse. On a on a you know basic salary, 
and you've got a 12 year old Nissan or whatever, or a, or a, you know, Ford Focus or whatever, you know, <clears throat> the mayor of London will want, will shortly be charging you a fortune to drive in to the ultra low emission vehicle zone. Um, everybody wants you to get into an EV. Um, what if you live in the 14th floor of a tar block somewhere in, in London uh, or Belfast for that matter? Where are you meant to charge it? I was going to say, do you want hell of an extension? Exactly. (laughs) And, and, you know, and also the last time I checked, they were pretty bloody pricey as well. Um, So they haven't, it's not typically, and it's not an unusual criticism to make of a government, but the thinking is not joined up. Um, Yeah. It's it's, what I really dislike is just that kind of cheap vote winning. Oh, we'll ban all internal combustion engine cars in 2030. Really? Okay. Have you looked at the infrastructure recently? Yeah. How are you going to do that? Well, we'll cross that bridge in 2029. It's not going to work. They don't have a roadmap at Alford. No, no, they're idiots in so many ways, you know. So, yeah. Well, one of the things Guy Martin was saying that I think it's in the thing was um, over half of the chargers that he went to either didn't work or wouldn't take his card. Yeah. So he's going, well, I've got 2% battery. Yeah. Shit, I need to now go and find somewhere else. Yeah, so that's the reality of the best. Uh, you know, I um, <clears throat> I did a little film on the the Mackie Mustang, which is a good, very good bit of kit actually. Um, although I've yet to see one on the road, so I don't think anybody's buying them. Which never is seen one. No, I, I, I struggle with the using the first. Mustang name. But uh, that's interesting. I personally didn't, bo- wasn't bothered. Uh, I think it's an interesting way of trying to graft a bit of appeal onto it maybe mm-hmm. uh, or a way of persuading people i mean it's no more a ford mustang than that the leather chair sitting in the corner of my room is, it's you know? pretty thinly veiled isn't it <laughs> thinly veiled. um although i did get it sideways in a roundabout um it, so it can be done uh, <laughs> it wasn't very happy to but it, but it did do it. Ooh, ooh, okay um uh not that that's my measure of how good a car is but um i, I always enjoy doing it um Anyway, the day I was filming with it, this uh, new place called GridServe, uh, uh, I was driving over to meet the videographer and I had Radio 4 on and it, one of the news items was this Britain's first pure uh, charging, sta- you know, petrol you know, service station purely for EVs opens today, early December last year it was. And I thought, brilliant, well, that's, that's where we'll go for the end of the film. And we did. And... Um, um, one of the key things, they're all different size. You know, there was a 50 kilowatt charger, 100, 250, I think, and a 300 supercharger. But the key thing was that you didn't need one of these RFID cards or to be signed up with anything. You basically went up to the thing and just did it contactless. And and then when it had finished, I can't quite remember whether you had to do it again when it stopped. And he said, you wouldn't believe that was the most difficult thing to achieve in the whole process setting it up so that you could just go up with any bank card and just go and it would just start he said we had to work really hard to make all the software for that work as opposed to needing an app or this until they harmonize all that stuff uh, which it sounds like guy martin was struggling with you know i just can't be arsed with it it's like you've got to make it as easy as filling up a car with petrol or diesel in much effort at the moment absolutely exactly it's a total pain in the arse and then you do that thing of Ooh, okay, I've got 50 miles range left. Okay, where's the nearest? You know, then you look at the little map. And as we all know, anecdotally and from personal experience, um, <clears throat> yeah, you get there and it's broken or you plug it in and it, something's not right or someone's there and, 
yeah, there's a long way to go. And I, and I, I believe that the car makers are currently running way ahead on their offer and their products than the suppliers, the infrastructure are. I can't remember the last time I went to a petrol station and I couldn't get petrol or diesel. You know, it was broken or out of fuel or whatever. Or someone <laughs> was fueling up for an hour and a half. But surely yeah. that will come. Surely, surely in, in uh, 1906, when uh, you had to pull in to the local chemist to get a jar of... Uh, <laughs> Vulcanized rubber. <laughs> yeah, whatever the hell that you put in. It's like, oh no, we haven't, we haven't, the, the cart didn't come. Last yeah. week's cart didn't come <laughs> with the fuel. You make a good point. And the, the friends of mine who are m- way more true, I mean, I'm, generally pro evs but they're they're much more into um yeah they they say all that stuff and 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 it, and it will happen and i'm pretty sure you know um let's say we're talking we're we're doing another one of these in 10 years time um we'll all we'll all be driving evs and we'll probably all be waxing lyrical about them um and their batteries will be much more uh, energy dense and more efficient charging costs will have come down it, yeah. it it will happen, and I've, I've driven virtually all of them, and they're they're nearly all very good. So, yeah. you know, you really would have to be a dyed in the wool petrol head not to go. Okay, especially oh, okay. I totally agree, especially for a daily driver for the commuter car. It's yeah. it's the way to go, and if the autonomous because although I love driving and the cars I have, yeah, hopefully explain that and motorsport i've done and all the rest just love that yeah. stuff but i don't really enjoy commuting if, if if i could sit and get half an hour's work done in the car rather than commuting yeah. or just chilling out rather than having to think about lorries and spray in the motorway and traffic and all that shit if if, if the car could do that for me for that type I, of journey. I agree but i think i think uh, i think autonomy workable autonomy is much further away than the scenario i the 10 years thing i've just posited uh, I'm not sure that if we were if we were talking in ten years' time that we'll all be driving autonomously. I'm still not. I don't think that might just be happening in ten years from now. But that's a lot further away than than yeah. everybody's been saying up until now. You know, um, and I remain a little bit skeptical about about uh, autonomous driving. I, I, I really do. I, I think possibly what we might end up with is it's like everything. It's a hybrid environment where. There's there's certain places where you can be fully autonomous, like on a motorway. I've got yep. I've got half of the M6 to drive. You just go onto the road, and it has smart sensors. All the cars are talking to each other. And make probably make it a lot more a lot safer. And yes, lot, yes. you know, yeah. But, but a on a on a B road where it can't judge where even if you've you've your lane assist on, it the car doesn't know where the hedge is, where the center of the road is. You know, it's all over the place. Drives me crazy that that stuff. I hate it. I had a Peugeot five hundred eight for a while, and the first thing I did when I got into it every morning was turn the lane assist button, just push that go off <clears throat> because it yeah. was so vigorous. You know, and you know, you when you when the when you've got good clear vision ahead and you can straight line or whatever, and you're driving over the white lines, and the car thinks that you've gone mad, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> was, this, was that the turbo? Was that the turbo hybrid five hundred eight? Uh, what? What was yeah, the, yeah, the sport engineered one? Um, no, it was a regular diesel one actually. But oh, okay. um, I have driven the the the, the five hundred eight PSE or whatever it's hey, called. Uh, yeah, we talked about that at the the last the fifty thousand pound Peugeot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come on, come on. It's good. I like it. I mean, I think the five hundred eight is. I think it's arguably the best looking car on sale in the world. As for a mainstream car, I mean, I think it's a. Fabulous looking piece of car design. That it is very attractive. Car. Do you know what? In, in fairness to Peugeot, they are making 
interesting cars. Yeah, they are. You know that. Uh, what, do you, what do you call their current hatchback? That's fantastic looking. The two hundred and eight. Is it? I see a little gold one. If I, I think is yeah. I would yeah, love this. It's got a real classic hatchback shape. They need if yeah. they made a sporty hot hatch version of that. Oh, it'd be amazing. Well, I think there's one coming, but I'm not sure. You know because yeah. I mean, it's a good point. The 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 five hundred eight hybrid, it's trying to be so many things, um, and you know, it 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 only had what is it almost four three hundred eighty horsepower I think when it's all charged mm-hmm. up and everything, and you know, there's a couple of electric motors, and it's so complicated. And you drive it, and you're like, I don't know what mode I'm in here. Um, mm-hmm. Which mode do I need to be in to have all the power? And then you drive it, and then uh, then you use up all the electrical energy and you're like oh well am i down to 290 horsepower now because i need to plug it in and it's so confusing i mean i liked it but it's a very confusing car but probably a really good one to buy in three years time when it's about 15 grand i i think france is it's game over in france isn't it for the internal combustion car uh is it renault sport they've they've pretty much knocked things in the head is that for i don't know if that's based on displacement yeah. or whatever issues. Um, yeah i mean the french have always been feisty and that i mean they, they were quick off the mark to ban engines in paris i think weren't they mm-hmm. um yeah i think i think it's going to be yeah to what to add to what we were talking about earlier about a golden era i think my the 20 when i start late 93 so 20 almost 28 28 years jesus this month last month um <clears throat> i've i've basically worked and written about cars in probably the best period to do so you know, maybe maybe the, some great stuff in the '60s, but um, I'm sad to say I think it's yeah, it's the end. It's the end of the road for a lot of the stuff that we really love. But the good news is that a lot of people I know are working very very hard to try and you know maintain some of that in the new in the new world in the new way. Um, yeah, and I think it's well. Look, you know, you probably read that UN or saw the news about that UN report that that, that I saw and. Yeah, you know, um, we're in trouble. We need to do something. We need to do something. And I, although I, I dislike the fact that the car is, you know, the easiest target, and it's like, oh, get out of your gas guzzler or whatever. You know, you know, air aviation and container vessels are far worse. Yeah, contributors and 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 then there's the terrible thing of like if if we all in the UK and Ireland were driving tomorrow, stop driving fossil fuel power cars and just were in pure evs it wouldn't make you know china's opening a new power station every other day you know or yeah, yeah. it yeah. doesn't just make like, any difference it doesn't it doesn't make any difference and and that's the terrible the terrible problem until it's until it's to be seen to be doing something sometimes yeah yeah and we all know that the you know the chinese government aren't easy to negotiate with so well especially if they're uh influencing bmw's front-end design <laughs> It's probably a good example of their nefarious influence, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I have a question. If you're, if you've still got a minute, uh, yeah, far away. Uh, I actually wrote this question before we started. Um, I was going to say you worked alongside some very well-known names in the motoring world, but as we know through the interview, it's it's the film world, the music world, it's everything. You've met a lot of people. Um, in terms of TV, media, motoring content, do you still have any aspirations? Is there anyone particular that you had on a wish list? That you've never worked with and would like to. <laughs> Ooh, interesting question. Um, hmm, in terms of not, no one's springing to mind really. Um, 
I like James. Or even a, a type of thing that you would like to do, even if not a person. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's 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 a few people I know, and you kind of think, well, maybe we could get something away here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm slightly envious of the fact that Richard Porter and Johnny have got that wonderful thing up and running, and I maybe I'd quite like to do something along those lines with someone. Sniff, Sniff and Smith. Yeah, which, you know, which yeah, I I religiously listen. That's my Monday commute. I, I really should start listening. They were they were very kind about the Bond book, I think. Um, but they're both they're they're two people I'm immensely fond of. You know, R- R- Richard in particular, his uh, his yeah, we're, we're, we we think similarly. You know, his his taste in music and stuff. You know, we it's yeah, he's he's a kindred spirit really. Um, yeah, and and you know, um, James May uh, was when we worked on Driven together. He was someone I just loved working with. It was always an absolute blast. Um, but I've never thought about it in terms of people I'd I'd actually like to work with, or whether there's anybody out there that you can kind of, yeah, you know, these. It's about chemistry, you know. It's about you, you know when you do something and 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 stuff happens, you know. That that was things things just fall into place. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the success of Top Gear with Jeremy James and Richard—they they didn't think it was going to go the way it did with Andy Woolman behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it was a complete accident because they're very bright people, but when it started to really get airborne, you know, I don't think any of them expected it to. And I think it was those big chases that they did that that you know, although they were always ludicrous, um, you know, when when they and I, I I remember thinking, oh, this is a bit irritating, you know, because. Basically, they were just being themselves, you know, and they're driving along and talking shit in a walkie-talkie and mountains of that stuff. And then the editor back in London would sift through all that and put it all together. What what was um, the, what, what was the uh, so you were obviously in the in the wider motoring press at the time. What, what was what 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 did the the other journalists think of Top Gear at the time? Was it taken seriously, or you know, what were you and your peers thinking when when this was all taking off? Oh, it was taken seriously. Um, I think anything that boosts uh, the car um, as a thing, as a form yep. of entertainment, as a something to be enjoyed in a TV program, uh, it's good. It's good. I mean, anybody who launches into, you know, whenever you're, you know, like, I'm trying to give you an example, but I can't think of one, a car that might exist in a space by itself and then someone else comes along and launches <clears throat> and you and you talk and go. Are you are you not a bit annoyed that so and so has done that? No, it's great. It, mm-hmm. it means there's there's interest. There's a, there's scope there. Um, I think there were some raised eyebrows whenever it it, it got a bit silly, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but their their they they the run was phenomenal. You know, um, prob- another probably one of the great like a guy that I interviewed. And you can find this on the YouTube side, I think, was Michael Schumacher. So I was there the day he revealed himself as the Stig. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure you've seen. And being there for that was unbelievable. You know, the the atmosphere was just the the the, the feeling amongst the audience that that they were going to see who the Stig was. And then when it turned out to be Michael Schumacher, it was <laughs> just like their collective room mind blown, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, this is just outrageous. Yeah, outrageous. I can't, you know, and I was only peripherally involved. I was there to interview Michael that day, which was amazing enough, you know, because I've been trying to get him for twelve years, but um, just surveying it and yeah. Well, look, I, let let I, I, 
I think this is a good this is a good segue to go out on. So so most outrageous thing in your in your career doesn't necessarily have to be correlated, but something that you're either involved in or put up to or <laughs> sent on a on a job and you're thinking, <laughs> holy fuck, what <laughs> what have I got myself into or this is just mad. Hmm. Well, there's been, there's yeah, there's probably been plenty. Um. Oh God, I'm gonna have to think of something, aren't I? Oh, I'm putting you on the spot now. Yeah, but it's a fair enough question, isn't it? Um, outrageous stuff. Oh, you know, I remember doing a, a thing with uh, Brightling, Brightling sponsored uh, Bentley and. Um, uh, and uh, I, but this was more a watch-related thing. Anyway, I went to Switzerland, and they have a they they Brightling sponsor a, an acrobatic jet. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. But the, you know, like red arrows kind of thing. Yeah. And I went up in one of those. And uh, isn't it telling that that I rather than an, a car thing, I, uh, something that happened in an aircraft? Anyway, um, I'd never been in anything quite like that before, and. Um, there were, I think there were six and we were flying in sequence and I was like Czech, late sixties Czech um, planes that they would train Top Gun style pilots in. Mm-hmm. And the pilot just said, okay, are you, he was a French guy. I won't do the accent, but he said, everything okay. You know, cause you know, people can get a bit unwell. Um, I said, yeah, I, I went, yeah, this is fucking amazing. You know, you know and he said, okay, well, we're going to break now. And then, and I'm, you know, we were in the middle and they, and they, um, and the two planes either side of me just did that thing where they dropped away and we we took off, and he said, "Okay, are you ready to fly upside down?" And I went, "Yep." And he just and we we're flying along, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" And he just we did progressively more hairy stuff, and we oh, did like Hubert, and then he did a thing where he says, "Okay, this one." He said, "We were chatting away," and he said, "You know," but he did that one where the plane was just kind of like that, and he said, "Okay, we're just going to drop," and he just sort of whatever he did with a fucking rudder or whatever it was, I don't know. Um, it just did that thing where it was just free fall through the air. And I was up on that thing for 45 minutes and um, it was only literally as we were coming into land, uh, I could feel my stomach start to go. Uh, I managed to not barf everywhere. And I thought, I cannot throw up at this point. <laughs> and <clears throat> I think if I'd been in the air another 20 seconds, I would have thrown up all over the back of the pilot. That was very cool. Um, man, I don't know, you know, meeting Michael Schumacher, uh, that that was incredible because he was a hero, and it breaks my heart that he's in the terrible state he's oh, in. Oh, it's tra- no? just such a tragedy, just so just, tragic, just awful. Um, I'm trying to think. I tell you, something I did just a few weeks ago that I haven't even written up, but I drove the um, Pro Drive BRX Hunter, which is their Dakar car. Oh, cool. Uh, it very um, million quid a piece. This thing and. Um, way above my pay grade you know i'm 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 not uh i'm a i'm a reasonable driver but you know i my, my view is that world rally drivers are the are the greatest drivers of all and and, and possibly dakar guys are even above that anyway uh, there's a guy called uh noni roma who's pro, was pro drives dakar guy earlier this year and he raced the brx and we were at a tank testing base in devon and um, there was some sort of tr- track around the perimeter. I mean, many, many, many hundreds of acres because, you know, you need a lot of space if you're testing tanks, right? Uh, but they had this track 
And um, I got a bit claustrophobic when they buckled me into it. They put the hands device on, and I was like, and the cockpit was so compact. And I composed myself, and then off we went. And, um, you know, okay, so a Dakar thing, you know, it has the most incredible suspension. Yeah, it moves, for it, sure. It really can absorb. But as we head off, you know, and you just think it's the weirdest feeling because it felt that the body was designed by Ian Callum and it looks a bit like a Jaguar F-type <clears throat> coupe kind of thing, but but suspended sort of up here. Um, as he, so we're on a bit of a perimeter road and then he points it down the, the start of this track. And my eyes, my brain and my eyes are looking and they're going, oh, my God. And I had, I had a bit of a back injury a few years ago and I just thought, oh, man, this is, this is going to hurt like hell. And um, he took off down this track. Um, and, you know, we were not in a straight line anywhere and just and the massive dips and crevices. And then there's a tree there and there's some concrete there. It's quite a big thing. Um, and he's just sideways, you know, you know, um, that that's probably the most recent thing I've done where I've just gone, this job's fucking insane. And then I had, <laughs> then I had to go and I drove it like an, like, I just, I just thought I want to bring this. It was due at the Goodwood Festival of Speed the following week, and um, and it, it, even when I was driving it, you give it a bit in second gear, and it's just immediately sideways. So you're you're sideways everywhere, but and then I thought, oh, I want to get a wee, wee bit of air going, you know, but but it was just crazy. And his left hand drive as well, and the the co driver at one point he said, um, he said, just watch that tree, uh, watch that tree that's coming up, uh, yeah, watch that tree. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the tree. And then we went around. He went, yeah, yeah, that tree was a bit fucking close there, actually. <laughs> that was very cool. I haven't written that up, though. That's the story I've got to write uh, probably early next week. Well, look, we look we look forward to reading that and uh, reading more from you. Jason may be seeing some more of you. Uh, I still have the rest of the car years to watch. I still have the rest of the book to watch. I have this packet of Tito crisps. Oh, Oh, look at that. <laughs> I bought I bought a I bought twelve, a bag of twelve in, in the international in Aldergrove on yep. uh, on Friday night. Yeah, cheese and onion tato, but you don't My you don't have place. them with your with your name written on them uh, that was on a GR Yaris uh, engine bay. <laughs> Wonderful. So a bit toasty then as well. And and I've and I've uh, I've the rest of your book to read. Uh, so anyone can find you on uh socials and stuff like that. Where where can people find you? What's what's your handles and things like that? It's Jason Barlow UK on Twitter, I think, and the same on Instagram, I think. Um, but yeah, no, thank you. Um, and at GQ, and at the the Road Rat, and at Top, uh, Gear, Top Gear, and yeah, I've got. I'm starting work on two new books imminently, uh, though they won't appear for a while. Um, no, just you know. Um, yeah, I think there might be some more car years at some point, and there's a few other projects on the go. So excellent, excellent. Yeah. Well, look, I, I say, say thank you, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, superb. Yeah, um, unbelievable. And uh, look, uh, best of luck with the the books and and all the rest. And I'm sure I'll maybe bump into you sometime yeah. in the future. Yeah. Who knows? Because you know, Northern Ireland's like it's it's far too small. 
Yeah. Well, I'll give you a shout the next time I'm over. Excellent. If you uh, if you if you see an M3 tanking up the from Sport to Donaghadee, you'll be rest assured it's not. <laughs> you really should try and get yourself into one. You know, I'm really going to have to get myself into an M3. <laughs> probably, I, you know, the one I fancy, uh, and um, it wasn't so loved at the time, but I can't remember the code number, but it was the one the four liter V8 when they dropped yeah. the V8 in it. Eighty two. Yeah, E ninety two. My brother, yeah. actually, my brother actually has a white one, and he's he's selling at the moment, selling one at the moment. Yeah. Jason, he'll, 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 he'll do you good. Someone a good deal here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I fancy that. I remember driving that when it was new. Um, they, they really rev. They really rev. Yeah, yeah. again, looking back now, you know, we go because all modern engines are strangled by all the emission stuff, and mm-hmm. um, you know, like the E fifty three I have, which is actually really good whenever you put it in the right mode and rev it out, but. Mm-hmm. It, you know you're battling it's kind of desire to just be clean and efficient the whole time it's like no yeah. no, no we'll be an amg for a change come yep. on yep make nasty give machine gun style fun. noises yeah give me all that but uh anyway all right well listen guys thank you i mean that that was a, a you it's been lovely and blinding um, blinding thank you for listening yep. to me walk along so good thank uh, you for coming on Brilliant. Yes, I'm pleasure to you. absolutely unbelievable take, take it easy keep the faith and all that all the best good man Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, how awesome was that? Thanks to Jason Barlow and Craig and Gary. This was sold as seen. If you want to find out more about us, you can follow us on the socials at RMS Motoring. Email us at podpod at RMS Motoring or find us on the forum at rmsmotoring.com.